Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. The other voice you will hear, as always, is Matt Feuerstein. Matt, this is kind of a crazy milestone because today, the day we are recording, likely the day that the night this will come out, is five years to the day since the day the first episode of Through the Years came out. Five goddamn years We've been doing this. I don't know, Matt. There are not many things in my life like I have voluntarily done that weren't necessary to keep me alive for five straight years. This podcast is now one of them. Wow. Well, I'm honored that you have stuck it out with me for this long because I know that I have a really annoying voice. So anybody that wants that has kept listening for this whole time, wow, what a masochist. No, but seriously, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's – and I feel like we've – grown in that time like which is amazing to me because it was just the idea was just us we we're like we want to do this and maybe we can do it and let people listen to it and we would do it anyway even if no one did yeah. but somehow there are a few people that do and they somehow still do and i guess i guess part of it even though ring of honor was like the promotion was more popular in 2017 like at, than it was than it is now or you know, at least was when it stopped running a few months ago. Um, I feel like in other ways, Ring of Honor, the name Ring of Honor and the history of Ring of Honor is more relevant and salient now than it was then. So I guess, you know, we, uh, we stuck it out long enough to where we are, uh, we're more relevant than we were. Uh, so I guess that's, that's pretty surprising. Yeah, you were ahead of, when you came with the idea, I think you were ahead of the Kyrgyz. I feel like the wave of nostalgia, Ring of Honor nostalgia for the early years kind of came like probably a year or two into the show. And now, you know, with all the AEW stuff about like, you know, Brian Danielson really bringing back a lot of his old Ring of Honor stuff and CM Punk like just openly referencing it all the time stuff. Like, I feel like it's really gotten big now, like the Ring of Honor nostalgia where people are kind of looking back for the first time. But I feel like we kind of started the show a little bit before that really happened. You know, we were we were actually ahead of the curve slightly on that. I guess it's good because we have like a bank of shows that people can go back to now if they get a Ring of Honor nostalgia kick. As for me, it's just a sad commentary on how I'm just living a life where I'm obsessed with nostalgia because certainly I have nothing to look forward to. So it's (laughs) much better to look back and enjoy the times that were fun. And Ring of Honor was a big fun time for me. So, you know, when I was an attendee of Ring of Honor, not when I I was not never a participant, but I I did attend (laughs) a lot of shows and that was a lot of fun for a long time. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm proud, I think, of the podcast. I'm proud that I have my association with you. How about that? I'll put it that I, I'm way. Proud of you. I'm proud of knowing you. In fact, I would like to basically thank everyone quickly. We've only done this once before, I think, right at the end of a year-end episode. Not like a, a one of our recap episodes, but it was like just an episode we were recording near the end of the year, and I kind of thank people. And so there will probably be a lot of repeats here, but I just thought – it's been five years. We probably won't do a lot of thank yous again for another long time. So I'd like to thank everybody. I just wrote down a few people quick that were, and I'm sure I'll miss somebody, but, uh, first Cubs fan, obviously someone that we've known since we were teenagers, you know, Cubs fan known now to be like the English language lucha guy with the lucha blog. But, um, you know, he hosted our, he was the original guy to host our show on his own website. 
And, you know, he hosted your original podcast, Listen and Learn, Joe Gagne's Joe vs. the World, our friend Justin Shapiro's show, Justin Shapiro show. And, like, Cubs, you know, he did make a dime off it. All, all, all the, you know, his site isn't like some major site, which is mostly his occasionally place for him to throw up, like, blog thoughts and stuff. And so, like, I actually, I actually did pay him a dime once. <laughs> okay, he made, well, he, made a, he, made, he made a dime off of it. You son of a bitch, Cubs, you money grubbing. No, um, but, like, you know, any work he did, you know, to create feeds or upload stuff or, you know, I think right before we left, he made like a little scratch logo for, for us and stuff like that. Like all that stuff, you know, he, he got not a dime. I mean, he got apparently one dime from it. And, uh, you know, that, that was, it was so kind of him. And, and, you know, when we left after only five episodes, he was very accepting of that and just like, oh, hey, you know, if you guys ever need to come back, you know, and, just a sweetheart of a guy and you know got everything off the ground um chad campbell who is the co we the co-host of uh where the big boys play podcast uh we've always talked about how that was kind of like a show we were both fans of one of the great old wrestling podcasts we plug it fairly often on this show and it was crazy he was one of the first people to like ever praise the show which was crazy because it was something where we had talked about before we started the show you know you had mentioned like hey what if we did a show that was kind of like you know where the big boys play but like it could be of that kind of quality but about ring of honor and then one of the first you know neither of us knew chad and so him to come out of nowhere and post a, a message that like hey this is you know enjoyed this and then invite us on to the pro wrestling only podcast network which we started to this day like that was unbelievably cool and just again another really nice guy who's always been really positive and just one of the more underrated po- wrestling podcast guys out there he'll be he'll he'll be on the show soon i, yeah. I can tell you like it that's in the, in the near future we're gonna get chad on the show and also just thank everyone at the pro wrestling only podcast network for again doing the work like cubs of uploading the shows and making tweets about them over the years and all that stuff like Ste- steven graham uh, updates uploads our podcast now and he's been on a bunch of times so very much want to thank him for all the help and all the support that he's given us over the years absolutely and he's actually in my guest section but that i that's another great thing to point out he actually is now the guy who actually uploads our show to the pwo uh feed now um an honorable mention the other ring of honor podcast that started after us uh i hate them because they make us look bad because they you know post many more much more frequently than we do do all sorts of other stuff you know extras but you know really good show obviously if you you know, had a have you had a dime for every time we mentioned them or they mentioned us on one of our shows? You'd be far richer than um, Matt Cub- made the Cubs fan. That's right, way richer than the Cubs fan. <laughs> but you know, Jeff's also been a guest on the show. They've had us on their show. Just you know, good guys. Uh, I hate the fact that I we're very self deprecating on the show. So I used to love that we used to be able to say we're the best Ring of Honor podcast out there, and I could honestly say that because I think we were the only really ongoing like retro Ring of Honor podcast for about a and, year. For about a year, it was true. <laughs> yeah, and now we always have the best I can say is top two. So that that's kind of a horrible thing they've done to us, Matt. But overall, it, you know, they they are lovely people, and it's been very nice that they've like mentioned us a lot and had us on and all that. It just lovely people. Um. 
Gabe Sapolsky, who has, uh, you know, you might have heard of him if you've listened to the show. He is, was the booker of Ring of Honor. Uh, he has mentioned us fairly frequently. He has listened to the show. And, uh, it's weird. Uh, Part of me is almost hesitant to praise him just because I really, I, I, I'm always a hyper aware of like people thinking like, oh, are they going to be biased towards? I like to think if you listen to the show long enough, you would know that we're pretty, I think, honest. I mean, we have nothing really to gain or lose from being honest about our opinions here. I'm just, I will just admit, I am biased toward Ring of Honor in this era. That's why I did the podcast. Anyway. Well, well yeah, I mean, it's always going to come from a positive bent because, I mean, we're not reviewing this for any other reason that we grew up really liking this era of Ring of Honor, but. I, I obviously Gabe's been nice to us, and uh, I would just say one thing to Gabe, and I don't know how many wrestlers, if any wrestlers, have ever listened to the show, but like I, I, I always am really aware of it's got to be hard to listen to anyone talk about a thing you did because I am sure there is countless times we have criticized a booking decision or a match where Gabe or the wrestlers involved could hear it and say, well, like. You don't know why that happened. Like, I botched that move because of this. This match was bad because I was sick. You know, I had to make this booking decision because my hands were tied. Like, there are all sorts – something you learn in life is there are all sorts of stories behind so many things that you go, why the hell did that happen? Usually, there's not only a good reason behind why that happened or didn't happen, but usually, like, the person involved is as aware that it didn't go great as you, the fan, are at home is. They just aren't going to tell you why, you know, like, oh, this is why this screwed up. And – so I'm just hyper aware of like to anyone that's been involved with Ring of Honor and heard us talk about it. I hope, you know, you can accept that we're just fans giving our honest opinions and I don't apologize for our opinions or anything like that. But I also am very aware of like how difficult it could probably be to listen to people that were not involved talk about the thing you were involved with. So um the fans, I'd like to obviously thank them. I mean – Anyone that's ever listened to one episode, wait, wait, Trevor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. You're very, you're very kind. Uh, thanks, but we do not call them fans, Trevor. Oh yeah, our deep vein thrombosos. I completely forgotten. Thank you, Matt. I apologize. I am embarrassed. We should redo the show. Start (laughs) over. No, um, but our deep vein thrombosos. Anyone that's ever done anything, you know, retweeted, either plugged the show, listened to even one episode, given a comment, anything. You know, I always say the most valuable commodity you have is time. You have so many options for podcasts and entertainment in general. The fact that you even listen to a minute of us is humbling. The amount of people that listen to us is way more than I ever thought it would be. Not that we're like world beaters, but it's I think it's way more than either of us thought it ever would be the last time we saw any kind of representative numbers. And uh Matt, you know what's crazy? I was noticing the last episode is like, have you ever noticed that occasionally, like, we will upload an episode, and then there'll someone will comment about something on Twitter that we uh, of the episode like an hour later? And I always thought, like, I I can't imagine for some reason, like, I can imagine people liking the show. I can't imagine people that are like so into the show that when we upload on a Saturday night, they're like, I've got to list- start listening to this immediately. Like, that always blows my mind when someone's like an hour later, like, 
oh yeah, that thing you just sound like, wait, wait, we just uploaded that. Like you shouldn't be allowed to listen to it yet. Like I, I, it blows my mind. We're the perfect, we're the perfect people to lull someone to sleep on a Saturday night. <laughs> we, we, one of our first positive cons was someone saying like, don't take this the wrong way, but this is a great show to fall asleep to. And so yeah. uh, Matt, more honest than you would uh, comment than you would know. Yep. And then finally, quick rundown of our guests. Uh, Joe Gagne, piece of shit. Um, Justin Shapiro, no, seriously, Joe Gagne. I mean, wonderful guy. He's been on a million shows, one of the godfathers of wrestling podcasts. Just so easy to do a podcast with. Just, just, just a pleasant, comforting presence. Um, Justin Shapiro, another person we've known since we were teenagers, one of the funniest people I think we both know. Um, just, I know Ring of Honor is not his thing, so I always thank him for coming on the show and indulging us. And I guess I should thank you for dragging him to the shows that you did. Um, you know, great person. Uh, Alan Cunahan, just one of the nicest, most knowledgeable guys out there. Another guy I can't, almost can't believe he likes our show because that guy's just seen so much, you know, heard so much. Uh, Dr. Keith Lipinski. You know, someone actually involved in indie wrestling, a guy who was at the shows. You know, I, I always think it's kind of crazy when anyone that was at the shows at the time, not crazy, but like, I think it's a, it always makes me breathe a little sigh of relief when people that were at the shows that lived through Ring of Honor at the time, like, I guess I feel like, oh, like, we're not getting it wrong. And obviously we lived through it at the time and Matt, you were at the, many of those shows, but to have other outside voices in your position. The only thing that I know for sure that I got super wrong was thinking that a lot of people kicked out of the J-Driller, which I said on the first episode <laughs> through the years. And clearly I think that happened like once since we stopped watching, since we started well, watching. So, um, so yeah. You know, maybe the count will start when they come back. Maybe you're just remembering like second era Briscoes. We'll and see. We're, it's coming soon. Yeah, we are approaching that era. Uh, Joe Sposto, another wonderful guest, the former Leonard F. Carson. That was a guy I couldn't believe listened to the show. I was like, man, that, I think he was the first, like, from indie wrestling. He actually listens. They're, they're allowed to listen to our show. Like, just like, I didn't know that would happen. And just another really, you know, the one time we had him on our show, like, just wonderful guy. Makes you feel good. You know, like, um, and another guy that's, was really, like, humbling down on the show, not just cause, like, um, of his past and because he's just a good podcaster. He has two podcasts, uh, long box heroes and at odds with wrestling. You should check out, but also because like anyone that follows him on Twitter knows that guy listens to more podcasts. than I think is humanly possible. Like you will just reel off the list of podcasts. And so to be like in on the menu of a guy who has just a voracious appetite for them, like that was humbling. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, we already mentioned from an honorable mention, but obviously he was also a great guest. Stephen Graham, we already mentioned, but uh, uh, he was also a great guest, and you should listen to uh, Maybe Not Taue, his new podcast, which, Matt, you've already guested on. And uh, think about Stephen. He's another guy kind of like Chad Campbell where he is just you know a little bit underrated. He's done so many wrestling podcasts. Like just look up all – like you could listen to a bajillion hours, I think is the scientific number – of a podcast Stephen Graham's done with a variety of, pe of people about so many different topics. It's like he and Alan really of the people on this list are the people that have just covered the most ground. And, you know, people should check that stuff out if you like good wrestling podcasts. And then finally, another, our last guest, you know, not our most recent, but Aaron Taub, 
of um, you know, every the formerly of the Everything Evolves podcast. Another really nice guy. Another guy. Again, like all so we we've been so blessed where so many of our guests have been on really great podcasts that I was already a fan of. And just it was humbling to hear that, oh, like most of our guests have expressed an interest of being on the show because I always feel nervous about asking anyone to do a time obligation for I, I, you know me man i have a hard time asking anyone for anything <laughs> so having having people kind of ask like say hey i'd like to be on the show and having so many talented people knowledgeable people like that's been really humbling so we've been really lucky with all our guests and then finally matt i'd like to thank you and uh it's it's hard to thank you because the one thing you have taught me is how annoying I must be because you're the only person I know that has comes close to being as self-deprecating as I am. And so <laughs> I've never really known in my life the, the 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 bittersweet joy, the frustration of someone that all your compliments just bounce off of them. But I, until I met you, Matt, but um, you are like the ultimate five tool player. Like you're smart, you're funny. You're knowledgeable. You're not afraid to stick up for yourself, but you're also not someone that's just constantly like disagreeing just to be like the hot takes guy. Um, you're kind of the conscience of the show sometimes. And uh, it, it, I, I was mentioning this, I think before the show, my memory's already that bad. I can't remember what I said on this before the show started the show, but I think I was trying to think of things I hadn't said like other times on the show about why you're, a great coast. But I guess the the best comment I can think of is like, um, I have not stuck with many things in my life. Like I will reveal this right now, Matt, I don't know how to ride a bicycle because the first day I, uh, rode on a bike, I fell off it and I immediately quit and said, I'm never learning how to ride a bicycle. And I just stayed in our family basement for years. Uh, I took skating lessons. The first time I took a skating lesson, I fell on my ass. I immediately after that lesson said, I don't want to take skating lessons anymore. I, if I'm not good at something immediately, I quit it. I there, my life is a parade of half finished books, half finished like courses, half finished video games, movies, TV shows, everything. Um, this is one of the only things I've ever stuck with, and I was kind of thinking the other day, why is that? Why have I stuck with this for five years? And the only thing that really kept coming feeling true to me was because of you, because you make it so easy. And so pleasurable. Like, I don't think, not only do I not think I would have stuck with a, started a podcast with anyone else but you, I think even somehow I had, I don't know if I would have stuck with it for five years if it was with anybody but you. Well, um, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, but you are right that all of that makes me extremely uncomfortable. Um, I, um, I, I definitely will not agree with some of the things you said about me as far as the smart and funny stuff. But, um, of course. I, but I, uh, I, 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 I will say that I have really, really, really enjoyed um, doing this with you. Um, you amaze me like just all the time, like how diligent you are, how thorough you are, um, how insightful you are about – you know, obviously the stuff that we cover on ROH, but also just the, just basically any topic that you want to delve into. Um, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. Like, so you said that you quit a lot of things if you're not good at it right away. Well, the good news is that 
that means that there's a lot of stuff that you can do because there's a lot of stuff that you're good at, like right away. <laughs> um, and uh, you're like an extremely, extremely talented person. You are 100% the reason people listen to this show. Um, there's like it's it's not even close. Like I know you won't you won't ever admit that, but it's it's definitely true. Um, you could you could have like I, you know I I will accept that our relationship and our friendship has made this easier for you to want to keep doing it. But as far as like putting out something that people would listen to. You could do this with basically anyone, and people would still listen because you're the reason people listen. Like, I one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And um, you know, and I, you know, and I hope to, you know, you keep, you know, doing whatever, whether it's wrestling or anything, for a lot of years because you have so much to offer um, in terms of intellect, insight, um, sure. humor. Like, and I know everyone listening who's listened a lot agrees with that. Everyone who follows you on Twitter or has read your columns, you just put out another great writing piece about Tony Schiavone that everyone should listen, that everyone should read or listen to. Maybe I'll do like an audio version of it. I'll, you, can, <laughs> you can just listen to me reading Trevor Dame's voice. I, I, I feel like, um, that would be great for me. Um, but, um, maybe not for your ears. Um, but seriously, uh, that's, I mean, you're the best thing to listen the reason to listen to this podcast and <laughs> my favorite part as well so um, you, thank you and and guess what everybody this is oscars weekend and you finally just heard through trevor dame a thank you speech that somebody actually got to finish <laughs> probably you know they would have played started playing the music to play me off very early on into that speech but uh <laughs> the the best thing thing i can do to show my appreciation to you matt and to the listeners at this point is to not dispute a lot of your comp- compliments even though i desperately want to and move <laughs> on so i realized that was a bit of a lengthy thank you but you know what we're only going to be turned five w- once we're not we don't do this very often all the thank yous and i feel like at five years kind of everyone that's really helped the show deserves a thank you so everyone pat yourselves on the back thank you and we're sorry <laughs> of course um and as always we have three feeds of through the years we have the youtube feed we have the pro wrestling only feed and we have just the through the years throh feed so pick your poison either three different ways to listen uh as matt mentioned i do have an article on fan bite the you know spell bite with a y about tony Schiavone. i wrote some tweets about tony Schiavone a few weeks ago and got asked to uh write a column about Tony Schiavone and I did and I got plenty of nice compliments about it so if that kind of thing interests you go look for it at Fanbyte and they're not um not video game section and it's uh it's like a 15 minute read it's pretty long and uh yeah reward them by clicking on ads or whatever cuz uh I'm not to brag or anything but they paid me for it and if you don't think I didn't get an immediate complex and feel guilty about that and worry about it, so like Everyone just click on some ads so that it rewards them for, for doing that. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Let's finally get to the show. Matt, I've got a few little pieces of news that we always like to cover the news that between the shows we've covered. We've got a piece of news. It is perfect for the five year anniversary because it kind of, it brings back an old reoccurring storyline in through the years back an old friend it comes full circle and i just love this i love how much i hate this um this is from the wrestling observer dave Meltzer writes ring of honor has been financially self-sufficient for the past several months because of dvd and merchandise sales which would be the first time in its history that is the case and is a real major breakthrough because how many promotions are truly self-sufficient how many indeed matt how many times in the five years of Through the Years has Dave Meltzer and occasionally Wade Keller said, Ring of Honor, you know, 
it breaks even. Ring of Honor is self-sufficient. And it's the how many times was that did that come before the massive Rob Feinstein scandal where all of a sudden it came out, oh, Rob Feinstein has lost six figures on Ring of Honor. Oh, you know, Carrie Silken has already pumped in over six figures into Ring of Honor. Oh, like there, you know, there's this huge debt. It's um, always been a massively money losing. And, and no one ever came out and said, kind of put two and two together and then said, now that we're learning this, we should say, oh, we were wrong. And maybe we should reflect on why we were believed whoever was telling us that they were a break-even company and why were they telling us that and instead here they are like months and months later and it's the same thing it's literally the same thing again they're they are back to saying it, it it's break-even again when um Carrie Silken does a podcast with Ian Riccoboni. I think it's a last stop Penn station and I've, I haven't listened to a ton of it. I just, I've been so busy, but I've listened to clips of some episodes and I think there was one episode I was listening to where Carrie Silken, I believe he said like there was only one show that ring of honor during his era ever turned a profit on, at least from maybe, maybe there were shows that turned a profit from the, after the DVD sales were factored in, but from like just the live gate, only one in history. And I think he said that was like one of the WrestleMania weekend, 2006 shows. And it was like, this company was never self-sufficient, at least on a regular basis. I guess I will say maybe if there was a time, if it ebbed and flowed, maybe this was a time because this was right around the time, you know, probably that Joe versus Kobashi was coming out on DVD. And that was their biggest selling DVD by all accounts that they ever had. And I can imagine that probably sold a lot of DVDs, not just of that show itself, but probably people going, if I'm buying this, why don't I buy another couple, you know? Yeah. But, so, but, they, but that wouldn't have been factored in by this point. Like that, yeah. was, that like that, that DVD had just come out. But I, I, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I do think though, if there probably was a time that Ring of Honor was ever self-sufficient, it probably was the next couple months, I would imagine. Yeah, um, sure. I, 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 th- I mean, I think it's just a case of like the reporters who report that stuff, they, and just take the, you know, promotion's word for it. They just think because ROH is such a small company that it's not important enough that they examine it and get it right, I guess. Because obviously yeah. with WWE, they would never just be like, oh, yeah, we made this. And they're like, yeah. oh, okay. You know, and which is funny because to this day, um, you know, to this day, um, which is almost what, 16 and a half years after that report that you just read, has there been a American wrestling promotion that has been self-sufficient, break-even like to this day, other than WWE, um, I have no idea how PWG does, but I mean, yeah. I know they've stayed in business at the same level for a long time. But like, is it's like it, it's is it all because of money that is made by PWG, or is there's people pumping in other money? Like, I have know, again, that, I have no idea. I like, mean, yeah, but like, but you know what I mean? Like, it it seems like there's a decent chance that no wrestling promotion other than WWE has ever been self sufficient in America since this time. Like it, it seems like at least possible. Yeah. I mean, even AEW, which a lot of people would, I mean, I would argue is a big success. I think they said it would be a bit of a profit at this point if they didn't factor in that, like, um, Tony Khan is fronting a large amount of money to develop the first AEW video game. And, but like, even that it's, I don't, you know, they're, and who knows, who knows if that's true, but even, Yeah. yeah, even that, like they're not, I don't think raking in huge would be raking in huge profits at this point if that video game thing wasn't there. And yeah, it's just I feel like even a lot of the long running indies 
there are these labors of love where, you know, they're probably, they're, they run at a loss. Like there are things where people sink in money because they enjoy, enjoy it. And hopefully they have to run to a degree where they don't have to sink too much money into it. But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine there are a lot of, of, of notable wrestling companies that have been consistently self-sufficient without having to sink in extra money. Um, Sean Radikin wrote, and Sean Radikin, like, he, on the PW Torch site, he would sometimes write Ring of Honor news, but sometimes he would report, uh, news from the Ring of Honor newswire as well. And the problem is sometimes I can't tell the difference because a lot of the Ring of Honor old newswires are not available on the, like, archive.org Wayback Machine. So this is me saying, I don't know if this is Sean reporting site that might be a Ring of Honor website and that's maybe tinged as a storyline or an actual piece of news. I think it's an actual piece of news. I'm not 100% sure because I couldn't cross-reference it with the Ring of Honor website. But either way, it was interesting. Sean wrote, Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor announcer Lenny Leonard quit and then returned to the company in the span of 24 hours last weekend. Leonard and Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky had a disagreement backstage at an FIP event last Saturday, but cooler heads prevailed, and Leonard announced that he would stay with Ring of Honor as a commentator on home releases. I don't, I don't, rem- I don't remember that ever being a storyline, so yeah, I, I, I tend to think it's true. I mean, Lenny did a lot of good work for Ring of Honor. It would be something uh, – I wonder what would have happened if he had left at this point. I guess – um. Mr. St. Laurent or whatever, who ends up coming in and filling in for months and months when uh, Lenny gets injured, maybe he just would have come in earlier and stuck around. I'm, I'm not sure what they would have done. Would Gabe have returned? Would, have, would we have been having a Gabe uh, Prezak team for, for a long time? Who knows? Um, and then Sean Radikin also reported, BJ Whitmer will miss Ring of Honor's event being held in Long Island, New York tonight, which is the show we are covering in just a minute. Due to injuries he suffered in a car accident, he hopes to return to action by December 17th for Final Battle 2005. So yeah, so I forget what Whitmer was supposed supposed to be booked for on this show, but he uh, does in fact miss this show. And that show that we are covering is a night of tribute. It took place September, I mean November 19th, 2005. At the Sports Plus Entertainment Center in Long Island, New York, in front of a reported crowd of 500 fans, so significantly less than the last show, which had Vic Foley's Goodbye and the AJ Styles Jimmy Rave like blow off match. I think that show drew like 650 or something. And uh, of course, why it is called a night of tribute is because the show took place a, like I think one day less than a week after Eddie Guerrero passed away. The title's also playing off of. I believe the third show Ring of Honor ever did, which was a night of appreciation, which was Eddie Guerrero's second and final Ring of Honor show and kind of his send off from the Indies. And so this is kind of a, you know, a, a reference to that. And also it is a night of tribute to Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in the observer, the crowd was lackluster most of the night, which probably stems still from the Guerrero situation. Matt, I didn't think this crowd was that bad in terms of crowd reaction i don't think they were like one of the best we've heard but i didn't i didn't notice it being like an especially quiet crowd either no i did not think so either long island always gets this rep as having these horrible crowds and i have been to shows there where that that had like bad crowds but no this was not so bad neither was glory by honor um the last show that they did in this venue also i would even if it had been bad i would be very skeptical of the notion that it was because of eddie guerrero but that's a whole yeah. other story um no yeah we've we've heard way worse Way worse crowds than this. Yeah, uh, they they were they were up for the things that they needed to be up for. I think I think that's a great way to put it. And um, in terms of Eddie Guerrero, obviously, like we've talked about Eddie Guerrero. If you really want, I think we had our thoughts on him on like probably the first 
two of the first three shows, you know, because he works two of the first three shows. But so Air of Honor begins and Night of Appreciation. I mean, he has our Eddie Guerrero thoughts there, but obviously one of the greats, utter tragedy. He left us so soon. And um, uh, how, did know, you, but, how did you learn about him dying? Because like not to make this about me, although I am one of the co-hosts of the show. So I guess no, it's sort of OK to make it about here. you. Yeah, I remember um, when I was still working that retail job that I was talking about uh, a few shows ago. Uh, and I was working, so I you know didn't answer the phone. I had my 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 ringer off, and I remember on break looking at my voicemails, and there was a voicemail from Justin Shapiro, and from Albert Ching, who is an, uh, works for DC Comics now, one of a uh, you know one of my good longtime mm-hmm. friends, part of the same internet scene that you and I met on all those years ago. Yeah. And uh, he'll probably be on the show at some point in the next eighteen months or so. But I um, but um, so. I, they don't. I mean, we usually we're internet friends, you know. So like, we usually communicate via the internet. I guess at the time we were still using instant messenger mostly. Crazy, crazy to think about. But so, but they, so then seeing voicemails from them was very unusual. And it, they were both calling to tell me that Eddie Guerrero died, and it was really fucking crazy. And you know, just to show how big of a deal that is, you don't have too many wrestlers that like sixteen. 16 and a half years later, whenever someone does one of their moves, you still get chance for them after they die. Like, it's not like in 2005, you know, people were doing like Bruiser Brody chants, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, you know, I'm trying to think of other wrestlers who died, you know, 16 ish years before this. Like, you didn't hear people like, you know, really like reacting big to like Kerry Von Eric spots in, <laughs> uh, you know, in the early 2000s, but. Eddie Guerrero, it's it still feels like as raw now as it did in 2005, which is crazy. I mean, maybe it's just part of like the aging of the wrestling audience that the audience who watches wrestling now are still the same people that watched it then, and we're not getting a lot of new fans. You know, maybe it's part of that. <laughs> um, but like, it also is just the impact that he had. Like, wow, what a what a big deal he was, and what a big deal it was to lose him at that at that time. And, you know, I'll talk more about it, um, as they get to their tributes on this show, but Mm -hmm. it's, it just reminded me of how tasteless WWE was in how they responded over the next several months. Um, I actually don't remember, like, I only remember when I can really think about it to learning about two wrestling deaths, like the other ones, I don't remember where I was. Um, those deaths are Owen Hart and Chris Candido, as weird as that is, kind of a weird one to remember. But the Owen Hart one was because this was, you know, dating myself. You know, this was back in the era where if you couldn't afford to watch a pay-per-view, you could turn to the pay-per-view channel and it would be all scrambled. And you could listen to the pay-per-view and occasionally make out an image for a second. Or if you're a teenager trying to discover sexuality, your sexuality, you could look at the scrambled porn and occasionally see a weird misshapen green boob. But either way, um, so when I wasn't looking at green boobs, I was listening to uh, – Come on. You still, you still like looking at green boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, Matt, have you been scrolling through my browser history? Um, I've been watching um, – been reading <laughs> Jolly Green Giant fan fiction. I like nothing but She-Hulk fan fiction. Um, <laughs> but but – uh, I, I remember like getting home late from something and I turned it on and I could just hear in their voices something was weird. And then eventually like I think I heard like Jim Ross make the announcement 
that, you know, Owen Hart has passed away. And I remember just running into the living room to tell my parents who did not care about wrestling, Owen Hart's dead, Owen Hart's dead. And then, of course, I ran online to confirm it. And I'm sure my parents thought like, oh, God, this kid is so stupid. He thinks wrestling is real. And, of course, this was unfortunately very real. And the other one was Chris Candido. And that was just – I remember – I always remember where I was because – I was on a family vacation and it was just a horrible family vacation from hell. And I was going through internet withdrawals and we finally got to a hotel and I was like, if it's the last thing I'm doing, I'm going to get to the computer in the lobby and I am going to use the internet and I'm going to read about pro wrestling for the first time in a few days. This is how sad my existence was. I just needed an escape. I go to the PW torch website. and I'm just like, Oh, Chris Candido's dead. And it was just like this huge bummer. Like, Oh, I was just looking to have some fun for 15 minutes and I've agreed to it this really tragic, I get another way tragic before their time, just when like it looked like things were turning around for them wrestling death, which is, I guess, in a way, the Eddie Guerrero death as well. You know, this idea of this guy has this big redemption arc and then doesn't get to enjoy it for that long. And it wasn't like he booked to probably win the title like right before, right? You know, yeah, like, I, I believe right, right? like when he was like the night that he died or something like that the yeah, night after he was going to go over batista i believe and get and get another and start a big feud with him and yeah i mean crazy he was probably as popular as he ever was when he passed away you know i mean yeah had he turned face again or was he still a heel i that that i don't remember my memory is bad but i mean either way he was in i'm in line for a main event program again yeah on his brand and yeah but uh we actually opened the show with ring announcer Bobby Cruz in the ring and the ring of honor roster surrounding the ring on the outside. Uh, Bobby announces that they're going to have a 10 bell salute for Eddie Guerrero. We uh, then see an on-screen graphic that states that tonight's show is dedicated to his memory. We get the 10 bell salute. So that's the little opening thing for him. We'll get another tribute, a couple of little minor tributes to him throughout the show. Um, at this point, Matt, we jump backstage for a Samoa Joe promo, and we get an on-screen graphic telling us that this is from ringofhonorwrestling.com, and it definitely makes sense because this is that it, this was originally on the website because this is the kind of a promo I would say is way better suited for the website than a DVD because it feels almost out of place here in my opinion. What this promo is is Samoa Joe going through basically every single major beat of his Ring of Honor career with video highlights accompanying every – career point he's talking about for almost 10 straight minutes it's too long to recap it's all things we've already covered on the podcast but just you the only thing you really need to know is it ends with joe reiterating his current goal at this time of becoming ring of honor's first triple crown winner winning every all three titles which we would need to win the tag titles to finally accomplish that he says he's going to do it with his protege jay lethal someone who he says has the potential to be the very best and I thought, like, Joe did a good enough, like, it was a good job of being in character, but kind of honestly, like, recapping his Ring of Honor run. But it was one of the kind of things where it was like, it's a good introduction to Samoa Joe if you've never followed him in Ring of Honor. But, like, on a DVD you paid for, it just felt like way too much recap. It was too long. That said, I, I always enjoy Joe's promo, so I didn't mind it. I like the trip down memory lane. But yeah, it was redundant. Um, the, the, the one thing that I thought was funny and noteworthy was he used the exact same line for when he talked about his matches with Kobashi and Jay Lethal. Like literally the exact same line with the exact same intonation. He goes, says, but when he says, first he says it to Kobashi. He's like, Kobashi, in New York, we put it all on the line. And then he says again to Jay Lethal, like, you know, I picked you as my as my protege. And then he goes, 
in New York, we put it all on the line. And I, I just, I just like that exact like phrasing, saying it twice without realizing it. I thought that was pretty funny. Maybe that's what Joe refers to all matches held in New York. Like when you go to New York, we put it all on the line. But just like it, like he could have like he could have like switched it up by saying like in New York we put it all on the line, and then later on we put it all on the line in New York. But no, nope. <laughs> you put want the, just that little bit of freshness. Yeah, he put the uh, he put the in New York phrase pre prior to the uh, we put it all on the line both times. And uh, now we have two dark matches that we did not get to see on the show. There will be other ones that I do not – we'll have to get to them later. There are matches that have been listed on some sites as occurring on the show. I don't know if they even occurred on this show or not. It was hard to find live reports for the show. But um, the dark matches I know for a fact that occurred that I don't think we saw. Uh, Lacey defeated Alice in Danger in your classic, hey, we can have a women's match because these are two uh, women managers we book on the show anyway. And then we also had Shane Hagedorn and Smash Bradley defeating Bobby Dempsey and Derek Dempsey in your standard um, students' dark match. And that brings us to the show, that the first match we saw on the DVD proper. The Ring Crew Express of Dunn and Marcos defeated Jason Blade and Kid Mikazi in 6 minutes, 21 seconds, when Dunn pinned Blade after Marcos hit a senton off the shoulders of Dunn. Uh, Matt, truly the uh, biggest story of this match is Marcos cut his hair, completely killing the Ring Crew Express gimmick. It, it just isn't right to see Marcos with short hair. Yeah, so when they started the gimmick, Marcos had short hair. And, like, this reminded me of, like, 2002 Marcos because he, he did he did grow it out and, he, they, you know, they definitely looked more like rockers after they both had long hair. And that was definitely noticeable and sad that he cut his hair. Um, the match, um, so, like, it was all action. Like, I will say that. They really kept a good pace. They did a lot of stuff. They, they tried a lot of stuff. And so, in some ways, this was more memorable than other recent openers, and like, kind of like it was fun. That said, the execution left a lot to be desired some of the time. Um, one really noticeable one was um, when Marcos did a chest first like buckle on, on a whip, and and let's just say he is not Bret Hart um, <laughs> when, he, when he took that when he took that buckle. Um, they also do like like Blade and Mikazi do a total elimination, which is another one where you're just like. Hmm. Was not quite the original, <laughs> but you know, but the, but like they, you know, they they try, they do a lot of stuff, um, and sometimes you want that. Sometimes you just want a lot of stuff um, for for an opener. You know, this is still still Ring of Honor. It's still an indie show, so it's like, yeah, like it's not, you know, it's not it wasn't like the most professional match you've ever seen, but uh, you know, sometimes it's fun to just watch indie guys do a bunch of stuff. Um, the so Mar, you know, Marcos, uh, Rinku Express do a bunch of their double teams early. Um, Mikazi gets to show his agility with a bunch of sp- spinny kicks. They do a stereo like chop battle, which I definitely did not expect in this match. Um, that's not something you would probably list on like what are the big spots in the Blade and Mikazi versus Dunn and Marcos match, but it was one. Um, they Dunn gets a hot tag, does some decent stuff there. Um, um, May, uh, Prezak, a bunch of times during the match, he notes that he's impressed by Blade and Mikazi, and I'm sure that was, like, something he was told to say, because, like, I guess at this point they were hoping to book them more. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, they, they go arm-in-arm and arm on the top rope and jump off with a combination front-flip moonsault, um, and they miss, and then 
Dunn hits the gory bomb on Blade, and they get hit the assisted slice bread and the assisted senton to get the win. I was actually surprised, given how much they were like talking up Blade and Mikazi, that the Ring Crew Express got the win here. But I guess they weren't ready to give them their full vote of confidence. Um, but yeah, it was. I thought it was kind of fun. I also thought it was very sloppy. <laughs> I completely agree. It was all action, kind of fun, fairly sloppy. I, I mean, that's basically my exact review. Um, they worked the match pretty even, and and it was funny because at first I was like, oh, this is uh, you know, pretty. I, I was kind of almost surprised that this is pretty fun, and then after just one botch, then all of a sudden it was like. I started noticing just how sloppy the mechanics were of a lot of stuff. And that botch was uh, Blade and Mikazi do this slingshot into a drop kick where uh, Blade slingshots the guy. And then as he's like coming up, you know, Mikazi's supposed to hit him with a drop kick. And it seems like Mikazi completely whiffs on the drop kick, but they find a camera angle that mostly hides the botch. But you can like still kind of tell and you can hear a few people in the crowd like booing. And it was at that point where for some reason it was all of a sudden like – they had put the Roddy Piper They Live glasses on me because at that point I started seeing like every little hitch in their work and all the little execution things. But overall, there wasn't a lot of big botches, just, um, you know, it's not as smooth, uh, like you were kind of saying, as, as other workers. But there was a lot of fun spots in this. Um, that, that, that spot you talked about, I, I kind of described it where they do the – they link – uh, Mikazi and Blade, they, they stand on the top rope, they link arm in arm, and one's facing the ring and one's not, and so they're basically like, almost doing like a weird Spanish fly with no one in between them, with each guy facing in the opposite direction, and it looked kind of pretty, it looked pretty cool actually, but the opponents rolled out of the way, so they crashed and burned, and for some reason I felt that made them look like really dorky, like there's something about doing like a very involved, kind of weird move when you're starting out in a company and completely like missing on it, even though it was an intentional miss because the guy rolled out of the way. I feel like that almost kind of makes you look more dorky. Like you should save that for when you're more established, but save it for when the match calls for you to hit the move. You mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was so cool that it still got a holy shit chat, even though it crashed and burned, but and uh, but overall, enjoyable for the sloppy thing it was. But Matt, I, I thought it was interesting that you brought up how you noticed how many times they um, were kind of praising Blade McConaughey because I didn't notice that in my notes as much as I noticed I when I read The Observer afterwards. Dave wrote in The Observer, expect New England-based indie wrestler Jason Blade to be used more as he was impressive on this show. So clearly like that was word getting sent out to them like – like Jason Blades looks like a good one. And it's not that he looked bad here, but I didn't think watching this match that he looked like, oh my God, this is like an incredible one night performance for him. But it seemed like for the next couple observers, like after this, it was like Jason Blades going to be booked a lot more in Ring of Honor. Jason Blade looked good. And, and with you talking about the commentary, it was just like maybe for some reason right around this time, Jason Blade season was, was high. Matt. <laughs> um, it was, it was Jason Blade season. I, um, um, we, um, we celebrated it in my family, actually. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, we then see a blurry, nearly pitch black, undiscernible photo as a Dave Prezak voiceover tells us this is a photo taken by a fan of Jimmy Rave attacking Jade Chung and giving her a pedigree out on the pavement, you know, at, at the end of the last show. They said a, di- a digital image from a fan. <laughs> I guess I guess it just made sense because maybe just camera phones just had such bad cameras back then. 
Uh, Dave says Jade has suffered a broken cheekbones and is out of professional wrestling as a result of this. So that is her being written out in the classic Ring of Honor fashion of woman gets attacked and is out of wrestling forever. Um, cut to Austin Aries and Roderick Strong backstage. Aries says time is running out for the embassy as this, this is the last show before they face them at Steel Cage Warfare in the big Steel Cage Warfare match. Aries says they have to put personal issues aside tonight, though, because Matt Seidel has a chance to become Ring of Honor world champion. And he, Aries himself and Roddy have a chance to become number one contenders to, to the Ring of Honor tag team titles. Aries says he knows Roderick has been going through personal issues. Roddy says at this point he has something personal he has to, quote, get off his head, unquote, which I assume he meant to say get off my chest. <laughs> or maybe maybe the thoughts, that, like it's like so many things to get when, – when they get heated, you know, heat rises, man. It, it's risen to his head. That's he has to get it off his head. Um, <laughs> he, he, it's funnier he, than it should be. <laughs> he cuts a promo about Jade getting pedigreed, saying Rave just upped it another notch. Roderick tries really hard at this point, I would say, to sell being intense and emotional, but something just doesn't feel, feel quite right. He just – he's trying to make it feel emotionally yeah, weighty. Bless, but bless his heart. He's trying on these promos. He's He is trying. Yeah, I just wrote my notes. You don't really buy – this is a guy who just saw his girlfriend's face get crushed. No. <laughs> like, it's just it, – it's not he, – he can't hit that tone. And, and yeah, you know, it was never his strong suit and certainly this early stage of his career, it definitely wasn't his strong suit. But he – yeah, he was trying. At this point, um, Cage Match has Ricky Reyes defeating Eric Matlock in a, in a match that did not make DVD. That would make sense. It, it does – not air on DVD. Again, so occasionally Cage Match will put matches on shows, and it turns out those matches just didn't happen on the shows. But I couldn't really find live reports that would load on the Wayback Machine, so I usually will like cross-check things like that with live reports. This time, I'm not sure. There's one more match count that is also like that, which we'll get to. But a match I am definitely sure did happen, because we saw it. Jimmy Rave, scored to the ring by Prince Nana, defeated Davey Andrews via pinfall in 4 minutes, 17 seconds, after he hit Greetings from Ghana, his new finisher, a.k.a. The Pedigree. Um, before the match, Nana gets on the mic and he receives an immediate shut-the-fuck-up chant. Nana says at Steel Cage Warfare, the embassy is going to end Generation Nexus' careers. He gloats about taking out Jay Chung. The crowd starts chanting boring at this point. Nana says he and Jimmy Rave are very upset at the way Ring of Honor fans treat Rave, and the next time fans throw toilet paper at him will be the last time Rave works for Ring of Honor. He then introduces Rave, who, of course, gets TP'd. Um, so he quit, and he never enjoyed, came back to Ring of Honor again. He was just stuck to TNA. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. One, oh, Nana clearly has not read any parenting books, and I mean – I haven't read parenting books either. I'm not a parent, but like I know enough to know that like you're not supposed to say empty threats, Matt. And I believe Rave and Nana already two or three times have said, if you throw toilet paper one more time, we're leaving Ring of Honor. And of course, they never do. But I you guess know you read parenting books all the time. <laughs> it's your favorite. Matt, I, I want to know what to expect when I'm expecting it. So That's I think right. I got to know. But um, <clears throat> much like the last show, uh, Andrews follows up winning the top of the class trophy by getting squashed clean quickly by another heel who isn't generally known for big dominating wins with impressive, like, crushing squash match worthy offense. Uh, Rave actually gives Davey a fair bit of offense for a three minute match, even begging off at one point. And then he just kind of abruptly at the end of the match wins with a spear and greetings from Ghana. 
I felt like this match more than anything was even not even just like a squash or rave. It felt more than anything just like an excuse for the Nana promo and for non for a rave to come out and let the crowd throw t- toilet paper at him. Like that was to me felt like the whole purpose. Maybe he, maybe I, he was going to work with BJ or something. Maybe yeah, that might have been it. Maybe it was Whitmer um, rave even. Although that would have been kind of heel heel at this point, but it could have happened. But uh, yeah, I, I, I again uh, we mentioned this on the last show where Davy Andrews got squashed by Adam Pierce. It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things how Davy Andrews or any of the students gets booked, but it is still kind of weird that like the first two shows after Davy Andrews becomes the first top of the class champion, this new trophy and all this thing, this first kind of prominent win for him. He gets like squashed pretty easily by heels both times. Yeah, I mean the match was you know so basic and didn't really yes it didn't really stand out to me that much. I agree with you about Andrews. Like you know it's it's weird what they were doing with him. Um, I guess it ended up being mostly not relevant. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know it stood out to me that Long Island is worse than most of these crowds as far as what comes to like the homophobic chants. Mm-hmm. And these other crowds aren't great. <laughs> so, but like they literally start a raves, a, you know, F slur chant. Yeah. And like you don't, I mean, you don't quite hear that very much in ROH. You know, you hear a lot of, you know, they do the Jimmy Likes Balls thing, which. Which Foley know. actually started at the last Long Island show. He yeah. actually got on the mic and asked the crowd to do it. So, yeah. Th- that will stick. Yeah, they started that. They do the, uh, you know, like the. You know, blah, 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 sucks dick chant, but the actual using the F slur, like in a chant, I feel like that's not, even in the, even in this era, that's not so common. And so it definitely yeah. stood out to me as jarring. Um, you know, it just, you know, it's one of those things. It, it is what it is. It's upsetting, but, um, as far, it was, I mean, as far as it goes, it was a fine squash, I guess. Like, I don't think like Rave looked so impressive, but it wasn't bad, but yeah. not something that necessarily needed to happen either. Again, just like Adam Pierce, I think both he and Rave and Pierce are not like suited to squashes because they're more heels that are more like not always cowardly, but sometimes cowardly. But their act is more about, you know, being sneaky and devious. And so having the matches where you're kind of meant to be like the dominant, really brutal, impressive, definitive wins, like both guys like did still like, I mean, Pierce and his squash even like did the old bail out of the ring because this kid's too much. And, you know, Rave does the begging off because it's just, you know, that's their act, even if it's not always suited to like a squash match. But, um, we return backstage at this point for a Colt Cabana promo. He calls Homicide a thug for leaving him in a pool of his own blood at the previous show. Uh, Homicide tried to cut his tongue out, Colt reminds us. Colt says he took Homicide all wrong. But what did Homicide take Colt for? What did everyone take him for? The silly white guy? The weaker man? Uh, Colt says a thug preys on the weak, and he admits he grew up in a big white house with a white picket fence and parents that loved him and still love each other. They're not divorced or anything like that. They sent him to great schools. They sent him to college. He was one of the jocks with all American friends. One of his friends is a big wig at the Chicago Tribune. Another plays in the NFL. Another is at the Merck, I believe he said. Um, Colt's parents told him he could be anything he wanted to be in life. He could be a doctor. He could be a lawyer. He could be an architect. His brother is a director in Los Angeles. Colt says he could have been anything he wanted, but he's a fighter. He's in the scummiest business there is. He's in a carnival, a sideshow, a freak show. Colt is a fighter. He was born 
with it. He says homicide had to become a fighter because he was looking for his next meal. Colt fights because he was made for it, not because he has to do it. Colt says he was just joking, but when homicide tried to cut his tongue, that gave him a reason for fighting. He says tonight he wrestles homicide, no disqualification, and says cavemen used to fight for women. Olympians fight, fought for medals. Professionals fight for money. Colt isn't fighting for his life. He's fighting for homicides. Matt, I actually on the on the last show we covered like one of the first serious cult promos, and I talked about how I thought you know that was a very angry, screamy promo, very intense. And I said on that one, I believe that like Colt's angry promos kind of go over back and forth over the line to me of good and not good. Like sometimes it's a little over the top, and sometimes it's on the right side of over the top. I love this promo. I thought this was completely different. He gets a little angry at one point, but it's a completely different tone. It's much more measured. And it's got this promo has real meat on its bones. Like what I love is he he does the classic promo thing of he incorporates his real life into the promo. And it's the other great thing of he takes what would be perceived as a negative and turns it into a positive. You know, the whole it's a really interesting thing to take, the idea of like, yeah, my life was cushier than yours, but you know what? That makes me tougher because you were forced into becoming tough. You were forced into this life. I'm doing all this when I could have done anything. I could have done a lot of easier things. I do all this stuff because I really love doing it because I'm meant to do it. You, you just had to do it. So in a sense, I'm the tougher guy than you. And I thought that was a really interesting way of giving himself some credibility and turning his negatives into a positive and I don't – a lot of his promos, I don't remember. I didn't remember this promo. My bad memory makes part of the fun of the show. It's like rediscovering a lot of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this feud, this is still like my favorite Colt Cabana serious promo. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said. It's one of the best promos he ever did. Um, I uh, I really like the angle of, like you said, just like I'm privileged, but that just makes me crazier because I chose to be a fighter instead of some sort of cushier job. The only thing, you know, and I definitely thought it was better than the promo the last month. I mean, he was like, it made sense that he was much more like kind of over the top and like panicky in that last promo because he had just had someone try to cut his yeah. tongue out. Um, but this worked a lot better. The only negative thing about this promo was I don't totally think the last line made any sense. Like when he said, I'm not fighting for my life, I'm fighting for yours. Yeah. Like I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. But besides that, I thought this was excellent, logical, well-delivered. Um and really helped get over his character in a in a good way that works for this feud. So, yeah, I, I'm it was very one of the better promos we've seen, honestly, the whole year in ROH. And, and I love. I think there's not enough of this in wrestling today. I love any promo that makes a match about more than just who's better or we hate each other because you hit me once or something like, like obviously all wrestling feuds are about those things. Those are the core things. But I always think if you can make a feud, that's also about one extra thing layered on top. That's great. And just in this promo, the idea of like, you can tell where Colt says like, you know, what do you think of me? What did everyone think of me? You can tell like he's expressing this resentment of like, no, I, he realizes everyone thinks I'm just the goofy guy, that no one thinks I'm tough. And in a way, that's what this feud becomes as much as revenge. This feud also becomes kind of like Colt Cabana needing to prove to everybody that he's tough, that he can be serious at times. And, you know, almost in a way by the end, like earning kind of the homicide seal of approval, despite the fact that homicide also is a guy who is trying at times to basically murder him. But I love any time a, a feud becomes about more than just the most basic elements, and this promo really helped that. So 
That brings us to the Ring of Honor World Title Number One Contendership Three Way Dance. That's a mouthful. Christopher Daniels is scored to the ring by Allison Danger, defeated AJ Styles and Matt Seidel in 14 minutes, 43 seconds, when he pinned Seidel after hitting the best moonsault ever. So, Matt, this was a real rarity in Ring of Honor, which was a number one contenders match where the winner gets a title shot later in the show. Ring of Honor did not do that very often. And, you know, they didn't really hold much back here, I thought, you know, for a match where the winner was got to go on. What do you uh, think about this match? I thought it was pretty entertaining. Like, I thought that... Um Seidel definitely impressed. I think it had some of the normal issues that you have with three ways where it's like, you know, the guy, two guys take turns while one guy just lays around. And I don't think there was a ton of drama to it, but I thought, you know, it was very well executed. They, they did a lot of cool stuff and I thought it was pretty well executed. And I appreciated, you know, that they did do um, a lot with Seidel. I think this truly elevated him. Um, for one thing, it just elevated him just by the fact that he was in there because I don't know that totally it makes sense for him to have been in there to, for a number one contenders, like given what he had yeah. been given the chance to do in ROH so far. I don't know if it really like was logical that he would be up for a shot at the title, but. And even Daniels had just lost to Joe clean on the last show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But given that he was in it. I think they did a good job. You know, they start out with AJ and Daniel sort of ignoring him because they obviously have this long-standing feud in ROH and TNA, and they, you know, wanted to just fight fight each other, and they throw Seidel to the floor. But Seidel, you know, he stands up to them. He drop kicks them both. Um, the one thing I did notice, um, the announcers mentioned the Daisy Hayes turn, which is the first time you've heard it mentioned on this on this. Uh, on this uh, DVD, Aries and Strong didn't even mention it in their promo. Yeah. So it's, so it's like, hmm, doesn't seem to be a big focal point, obviously, because that's the thing that cost them the match at the end of the last show. You'd think that Seidel would probably have something to say about that, but they just sort of make it an afterthought here. Yeah, that's um, a great point. That's actually. a bit of, bit of an oversight, but that notwithstanding, um, there's actually a, at one point a fallen angel Matt Seidel dueling chant, and I imagine AJ had to be like, hey, wait a minute, when that was going on. <laughs> But um, has there ever been a three-way dueling chant ever where it was like the three names like AJ Styles, Matt Seidel, Falling Angel? That's I don't think there has to. There I mean, has there has to have been. Yeah. I, I would bet money on it. Yeah, I can't think of it, but I'm almost positive. I bet you there's been a four-way one. That that's how much I would say it. Now the question is, if when one of those like ladder matches that has like eight guys in it, have they ever had an eight-person <laughs> dueling chant? Because if not. We're going to start it. Um, you know, what I want now is like a Survivor Series match where it's just like a 10 chance. <laughs> like in, in, and like the fans having to keep track of what order they started in. Like, oh, okay, who are we back around to yet? Is it Kofi Kingston or Big E? I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I desperately want that now. Yes, that's right. But like, I don't know if that makes sense with a dueling chant because like you're not going to duel somebody on one team with the person on their t- – I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That'd be weird. Like, well, why are you pitting us against each other? That's We're right. On the t- yeah. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way with the <laughs> dueling chant logic. um, But no, but um, as far as some of the cool spots, like you know, they, they're, there's some relatively boilerplate stuff early on, but then there's some spots like – Seidel whips Daniels into AJ, goes for an inverted DDT, but AJ takes that opportunity to do his moonsault inverted DDT onto Seidel, which causes Seidel to DDT Daniels. And, like, that's the sort of wacky, contrived fun I enjoy in these kinds of matches, as long as it's well executed. And that was definitely well executed, so I'm okay with it. Um, 
at one point, AJ hits this crazy-looking DDT on Seidel with, like, this real snap, and Seidel takes a really great bump, um, so, you know, which which I think, you know, the execution of that sort of stuff, I think, enhances the match a lot. You know, if they're going to do that stuff, you want the execution to be there. And that's, that's the thing that I noticed throughout the match. Like, anything they tried, they did it well. Um, at one point, AJ goes for a top rope, Styles Clash, but Daniel stops it. And he flips Seidel off of AJ, but Seidel hits Daniels with the here it is driver. And then AJ comes off the top, but Seidel catches him with a drop kick. So all three guys are down. Then there's another cool spot where AJ, he chucks Seidel up, who drops down on Daniels' shoulders. So Daniels hits him with a Death Valley driver. Um, and, uh, yeah, they keep going. They hit their signature spots. Uh, AJ, uh, stops Daniels from doing the BME and hits a rack bomb. Then AJ does a dive onto Daniels, and Seidel follows that up with a big top rope twisting body press onto both guys on the floor. Um, but for some reason, and this is like one of the illogical things, for some reason after Seidel hits that onto both guys, Styles is the one that gets the two count, <laughs> like right after that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know if they just forgot, but like, uh, Seidel gets a crucifix, and Styles tries to turn that into a Styles clash, but Seidel hits like his, that big snapping Rana and gets a two count after Daniels breaks up the pin. And at that point, some of the pinfalls are getting pretty big pops. Um, Daniels goes for the Angels' wings, and Seidel charges, so Daniels backdrops him to the floor, and Daniels blocks another here it is driver, hits the Uranagi, hits the BME, gets the win. Um, yeah, like I said, some contrived stuff, some, some three way tropes, but uh, just well executed. And I think Seidel looked really, really good, which I think is probably the best outcome you can get for a match like this. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. I thought this was good, but nothing special. Like, I feel like if you, hey, do you want to see these three talented guys hit most of their signature spots with zero downtime? Then, like, this is the match for you. Do you want to see, like, literally almost anything else? I, this isn't the match for you. It, it is mostly that it makes use, I would say, of like one of the biggest advantages of a three way, which is, you can really go at a fast pace because one guy can always take a breather. So it was just like, move, 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 you know, good pace. And, you know, these guys have, it, it was, they didn't do many really innovative or unique, like double or triple team things. You kind of mentioned the cooler ones, like the AJ throwing Seidel in the air and Daniels catching the DVD and like those kind of spots you've mentioned. But most of the stuff in this match is just their standard offense, but done very quickly with no downtime. And, you know, a lot of their offense is really cool, like that Seidel twisting body press to the floor. I mean, it looked like it just killed um, Daniels, and it's always beautiful. So that stuff was fun. But, you know, definitely it is not on the par with the great three ways we've seen in Ring of Honor, or even the great three ways in T. Like, think about what a hard position this match would be in at the time, where this was very shortly after the five-star, widely considered to be one of the greatest three ways of all time, you know, Styles, Daniels, Samoa, Joe three-way, the first one in TNA. And think about, like, the pressure of you're just on a random undercard match in Ring of Honor, but it's two-thirds of that match with Seidel in the place of Joe. So probably some people were, like, hoping it was going to be another, like, absolute, you know, show stealer, which it, it is definitely it is an enjoyable match. It's definitely nothing close to that. Um, and you were completely right, too, about having some of the three-way tropes. Like, 
I feel like the three-way trope it really had this match is guy having to sell on the floor for way longer than appropriate because it's not his turn to come back in the ring and do his next spot yet. And Seidel, you see it a couple times. Like one spot, um, Daniel stops a run of Seidel offense just with a simple boot to the gut and a forearm, and then he throws him to the floor. And Seidel like even tries to skin the cat, and then he just calmly drops to the floor. And he proceeds to stand, like I counted, like the next 40-plus seconds on the floor, which in a match like this, that's this fast-paced, is like an eternity. And he's just watching what's going on, and he even like misses a near fall. And again, he's selling it from a boot to the stomach and just a forearm to the face. And then later, there's a sequence where... um. Daniels and Styles are doing moves to each other late in the match. And Seidel is just standing. If you watch, it's like later in the match. Seidel is just watching the match on the floor, calm as can be, multiple times turning to talk to fans in the front row. Like, just calmly, like, like yeah, 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 you said that, huh? huh yeah, what's up? And then during a near fall between um, Daniels and AJ, I don't know which did was pinning who um Seidel then like lunges in the ring and he does the old oh I'm too hurt to get in the ring and I was just talking to the TV I was like dude you were talking to fans for like the last 30 seconds like and now you're acting like oh I'm so hurt and I thought it's just one of those weird little three-way moments where you just kind of have to kill time on the outside and then all of a sudden act like you've been in in complete agony all this time and it was one of those weird things but um other funny thing was uh, there was a moment where Styles hits Daniels with a knee drop and uh, Seidel's about to hit Daniels with like a big springboard move. But after taking the knee drop, Daniels just rolls to the corner of the ring and Seidel clearly was not ready for that. So he's just like stops like, OK, I'm, like it's funny if you watch Seidel, he just kind of like drops to the floor. It's like, yeah, I guess that's not going to happen. And I just kind of felt bad for him. Also in this match, I guess my last note was Seidel somehow found a way to take a bump on his head and neck after taking a standard backbreaker. Like he takes a regular backbreaker and he just lands in such a way where he almost takes like a head and neck bump from it. It was such a crazy thing. And yeah, after that, um, after the match, Daniels makes a belt wearing motion around his waist. He's coming for the title tonight. And he tells the camera that he is one match away from his destiny. He leaves. AJ shakes Matt Seidel's hand and leaves. And this leaves Seidel all alone in the ring, which gets a nice Matt Seidel chant from the crowd. And I thought that was another way this, you, you mentioned how this match you felt kind of elevated Seidel. I thought that was a way this match also elevated Seidel is sometimes Ring of Honor tries to do the camera lingers on the guy for a long time and gets the chant and it doesn't really feel like it does anything. They, and sometimes it just feels like honestly like they're showing it just because they had time on the DVD. But this time it did kind of feel for some reason significant to me. Like it's yeah. like, Oh, he's getting a bit of a rub. Here. It was, it was genuine. Like, and that makes yeah. a difference. It wasn't, didn't feel forced. So next we join uh, Claudio Castagnoli backstage. He wrestles Milano Collection AT tonight, but he says he can't get Nigel McGuinness out of his head. He says Nigel made him bleed for the first time in his career recently. Nigel screwed him out of the pure title. Claudio asked Jim Cornette for another shot at the pure championship. He's basically begging for a shot. He says he just needs one more shot at, at Nigel. That's it. He, he'll get it done. Then um, we go back to the ring. Gary Michael Capetta tells us that Brian Danielson has requested a few minutes of time. Out comes Brian back in Long Island for the first time since he won the Ring of Honor World title there at the last Long Island show. 
Uh, Brian does an over-the-top clearing of his throat where he keeps going, <clears throat> and he's done this, I think, once before, and he starts cracking himself up. Like he, he, does it for, he does it for a long time this time. Yeah. He says the three-way we just saw was an awesome match, and he points out that the winner, Christopher Daniels, faces him for the title later tonight in as a result. We get a big fallen angel chant from that that eventually starts turning to a dueling chant of, for Brian and fallen angel. And Brian starts doing the throat clearing thing again, but he starts doing in sync with the fallen angel part of the dueling chant to try and cover it up. So you're hearing like, you know, Brian or whatever, you know, and, and then every time. Let's, go, let's like, go dragon. Yeah, let's go dragon. And then and again, like Brian's starting to like make himself laugh. And he's just such a cornball. And I was just like, I love this. I love this goof so much. And um, Ryan says he's out here because he doesn't think it's fair for Daniels to have to go through a tough match and face a fresh Brian Danielson later in the night. So Brian himself has got procured a very tough match, and out comes Azriel. And that brings us to a non-title match, Brian Danielson versus Azriel. But first, here's the here's a weird thing, Matt. Um the notes on Cage Match say that before he faced Azrael, he faced Pele Primo. I, again, do not know if that's Cage Match being weird or if they actually edited out like maybe he wrestled two matches on this show. I, I, you know what? That does ring a bell to me that they might have even posted a clip of that on ROHWrestling.com. I don't remember for sure, but it sounds familiar. If so, it's completely edited out of the, uh, the DVD. Right. We just get the non-title match, Brian Danielson defeating Asriel via submission in five minutes, 55 seconds, when he made him tap out to the catamutilation. Uh, I would say this match is a rarity, both for Danielson and Ring of Honor. Um, for Danielson especially, like, this is a match he's probably rarely had, not just in Ring of Honor, but in his career, which is not just a squash where he's doing the squashing, but a squash where he's actually making the other guy, like, look like a joke. Like, he's not just dominating him. He's really making this guy look like he's nothing, like laughing at him, literally laughing at him. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but Ring of Honor and most, like, work rate indies, they rarely had a match like this because the biggest things indies could offer, it's not money. It's not, like, huge, you know, celebrity. It's just opportunity. So you would find that most indie matches in the big indies are, like, 50-50, you know, pretty even and losing. The idea is everyone gets a chance to show what they can do, even if they don't get to win. So you rarely saw a match like this where a guy not j- doesn't just get dominated, but, like, I would say comes out of it looking weaker than he than when he came into the match. Like, um, everything about this is, like, Asriel's, like, joke to Danielson. He puts Asriel in submissions and laughs. He lets, no, he lets Asriel put him in submissions and he laughs about how they do nothing to him. Like, Asriel puts Danielson in an arm ringer and Danielson just maneuvers his hand into, like, a duck, talking duck mouth and, like, has a talk in Asriel's face. Um, later he lets Asriel put him in a sleeper hold and Danielson's, like, just laughing while he's in the super sleeper hold and he fakes going out. And it's not just that Danielson's making Azrael look like a joke. Like, Azrael's doing just as much to make himself look like a joke. Like, when when he has Danielson in the sleeper hold and Danielson's making him pretending to go to sleep, like, the crowd's laughing. They're all in the joke. And Azrael's, like, thinking he's about to beat Brian Danielson in three minutes with a sleeper hold. Like, he's like, yes, yes. And later on, like – um Azrael's chopping Danielson. And Azrael is going out of his way to, like, sell that, like, his hand – is really getting hurt, like going, ow, just from chopping Brian Danielson's chest. And here's the thing. I don't, this was like fun to watch. It was refreshingly different. You don't see this kind of match often in Ring of Honor. 
Danielson's just got so much personality at this point in his career. It was a lot of fun to see him just kind of dominate a guy like that. But it was, it's also just, it is a weird match to watch. And I will also say, like, I felt kind of bad for Azrael. Not that his career was really going anywhere at Ring of Honor at this point, but this is the kind of match I feel like, like, if you work this match in Ring of Honor or in a lot of companies, you kind of know you're on the way out, right? Like, you know, any chance of you getting a push is kind of over at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Um, yeah, like, it was an entertaining squash. I totally agree with what you said. Like, it's, it's definitely out of character for Brian Danielson, for the promotion. Uh, you don't think, you don't think of too many matches like this ever in ROH. Um, sort of a WWE kind of thing to do where they just kind of humiliate somebody. Um, but yeah, it was certainly entertaining. Um, they, they, the announcers are fairly as dismissive of Azrael right off the bat, except at the very beginning, they call him, quote, a fine young athlete who's making his way up the ranks here. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right about the fine young athlete part. But was at this point, was he making his way up the ranks? I think it was pretty clear he was making his way down the ranks yeah. at this point in ROH, even before this match. Um, yeah. Other than what you said, some things that stood out were um, Allison Danger was on commentary, which I always enjoy. She didn't get a lot to, chance to do much, but she did get to you know, cut a little promo on Danielson. We haven't heard too much from her during this run, so I appreciated that. Also, Lenny Leonard on this show during this match and in the main event, he really, really leans into treating Danielson like a heel. Like, cause, you know, there's yeah. some times where it's a little bit like as we continue to go on with this reign that he's almost like tweener-ish. Mm-hmm. But like at this point, he's like a heel. You know, like Leonard is like, this guy is disgusting. He's insufferable. What a jerk. And you don't really get a ton of that throughout the, the reign. But at this point, they've decided they're going to make Danielson out to be a real asshole and not like it. And so Leonard really makes that clear here. Otherwise, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Yeah. Um, the other highlight I think was Danielson at one point twists Azrael's arm at a really disgusting angle. And I have to assume that the Allison Danger thing, like she, yeah, she, like Bat said, she run, does like a run it on commentary and basically talks about, you know, like how Daniels, Daniels is going to beat Danielson and that stuff. Um, I have to assume that was probably because. Shimmer, right? Yeah. Prezak and, and Danger, I assume, were probably recording the, uh, the commentary for the first two Shimmer DVDs, I imagine, probably at this probably same time so she was probably right there to be able to just like hey do you want to like just sit down for a minute and and record some commentary here it's sort of like that time remember there was that one show where like samoa joe all of a sudden like just dropped in on commentary for like a minute like i have to assume that was the kind of thing where if anyone was around the ring of honor like area like the florida recording with you know sal and them and like it was probably just like hey if you're already here do you want to just sit in for a couple minutes um so it was funny also that you mentioned the you focus which you're right the Lenny Leonard stuff really focusing on Danielson being heel because Dave Meltzer at this point was talking about how much of a tweener Danielson was at this point which he would end up being um Dave wrote in the observer because of Daniels having to work once Danielson who was playing the role of a 70s Dory Funk style heel world champion basically even though a heel he works the whole match as a wrestler doing only very subtle things as the match goes along so the local babyface is the babyface but the champion isn't an overt heel he, so I, he was, I wouldn't say he was so subtle like he I, yeah. he, I, he didn't he didn't like totally cheat like he wasn't like choking somebody out with like a shoelace or anything but like he was mean to the crowd during his and he matches he cases like poke eyes and yeah. gouge eyes and stuff like that yeah but um but Daniel, blah, 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 I'm just going through the Dave's note. And oh, yeah, and then Dave just says the thing that we've uh, 
we've report a lot because Danielson was known to do this, but he mentioned it again here, which is uh, another strong point of Danielson is that he watches the entire show. So he figures, so he figures in what the crowd is reacting to as well as making sure not to duplicate spots already done and then calls everything in the ring based on crowd feel, which obviously that was one of the many things that makes Danielson great. But yeah, I would say like, I kind of had this in my notes for the main event with Danielson, but like, I mean, Danielson's a heel, but the thing I always always say about this Danielson, what made him a tweener was, and I might have said this before, but very few people, in my opinion, could have made this character a tweener because most wrestlers, if they're constantly saying they're the best in the world and they're being so arrogant, you would just call them a complete heel. But Danielson made it a tweener just because he was legit so good that when he says, I'm the best in the world, you're like, well, he's being an asshole about it, but you know, he might be right. And to me, that's the difference between a guy being a heel with this gimmick and a guy being tweener is he's one of the only guys that could actually back up those boasts. And also, I think another thing you really, this really comes through in the main event where he faces Daniels is like Danielson is much like CM Punk when he did the heel turn on the summer of punk storyline. Like Danielson is just having such a blast clearly like doing this stuff that like it's infectious and it's hard i think to completely hate a guy when he is just clearly having so much fun being an asshole yeah i think also just the crowds are so conditioned to appreciate skill and no one had more of it than brian danielson so how much are you really going to hate on him yeah definitely and that brings us to the no disqualification match homicide with grim reefer and julia smoke so of course as always ring of Honor announcers were would never acknowledge that the grim reefer was anything but quote one of homicide's thugs uh defeated colt cabana by a ref stoppage in 19 minutes 33 seconds when homicide makes cabana pass out by choking him with a coat hanger uh matt this is the uh first match of the colt uh homicide feud where we actually get a finish and really like a full match that is not just an extended crowd brawl although we certainly get brawling and the big stunt bumps that this feud's had so far what'd you think about this as a match like nearly 20 minutes here yeah this was actually only the second official match of the feud even though it had started you know months earlier and like i think what like nine shows prior to this had started and now we're only getting our second official match between the two kind of crazy um but yeah, so there was a moment late in the match that it kind of slowed down while they were setting something up, which I'll get to. But like besides that, I was very impressed with this match. I thought they did a really good job and I thought it got over. I'll go through it. Like I'll, I'll go through some of the st- stuff and what I liked and what I didn't like. But I thought this was a very good no disqualification match. Um, so just like – so to start, um, Julia Smokes and Grim Reefer are accompanying Homicide. As usual, they do not say what Grim Reefer's name is. He's just a thug. Um, but it's funny, like, so that they start the match, like, with Cabana being aggressive and they, you know, they do a lot of punches. Um, one funny thing, though, is the very first non-punch move by Cabana is him just, like, whipping Homicide from corner to corner, back and forth, like the big boss man did to Akeem at WrestleMania six, which is just kind of funny to have in this kind of, like, a no-disqualification match. But after too long, Cabana does take out his own fork. Um, I don't know what you'd call his version of the ghetto fork, like the suburbs fork. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, they, they have, and, you know, in the, the suburbs, salad fork. Yeah, I was going to say, in the suburbs, they have forks for all, different, all their different courses. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so he clips out his salad fork. And um, before he can hit it, Grim Reefer comes in with a missile drop kick, but Cabana takes him out quickly, and he tries to fork Homicide, and we get Homicide fighting tooth and nail to block it, and 
you know, Cabana's doing a good job of seeming extra aggressive. He's ripping and tearing at Homicide's face. Um, Homicide hits the, the Topek on Hilo early, and Cabana just um, pounds on him around ringside. Meanwhile, Smokes is behind him, like, taunting him with the bat. And I'm just like, it's a no disqualification match. Why don't you just hit him with it? It seems weird that he's just like teasing it. Because, you know, in matches that aren't no disqualification, he hits people with stuff. Did you notice before the match started when um, Smokes is carrying the bat and he walks by the cameraman, the camera, the bat actually hits the camera? <laughs> I did not notice that, but, you know, not surprising. I'm sure he's not super careful with the bat. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of um, Cabana fighting on the outsides, hitting Reefer, knocking down Smokes, um, how, you know, just like that kind of stuff. But then Homicide, while Cabana's distracted by those two guys, he takes that opportunity to get the advantage, chokes Cabana with the bat, which to me is not the most effective use of a bat as a weapon, right? <laughs> like, you know, if you have a bat and you're going to attack someone with it, like probably the, you're, the first thing you do with it is not going to be the choke. Right, you're probably going to go for yeah. the hit with it, and <laughs> later when hit Colt, with it. Later, when Colt tries to gouge um, Homicide's eye out with a pipe, it's like <laughs> again, yeah, like <laughs> Colt. Do you know you you just talked about how how tough you are? Do you know how weapons work, my yeah. friend? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, they, they keep fighting. Um, you know, Colt props a chair in the middle between the top middle and top turnbuckles, but Homicide sends. Colt head first into that, then throws him out to be beaten up by Reefer and Smokes some more. Um, Cabana, Cabana gets his arm wrapped in a chair, and Homicide drop kicks the chair, then attacks the arm, and then he hits the chair into Cabana's head, causing Cabana to blade. And now Homicide starts forking Cabana, and I would say this is Cabana's best blade job yet. It's still not like a C. It's certainly not a CM Punk blade job, but it's better than other Cabana blade jobs we've seen. I think. Um, then we get some fighting spirit by Cabana, like Cabana's, uh, Homicide's punching him in the head, and he's, Cabana's yelling, come on! But instead of doing that, Homicide just kicks him in the nuts. Um, then Cabana hits him with a chair while he's on the top rope, goes for a superplex right onto the chair. And I thought it was that was very well positioned, because sometimes you do a superplex onto like a chair in the ring, and you kind of barely graze it, but this was like right fl- uh, flush in the center of it. Um, they do this thing where they hit lariats with each other, but they only get one counts, um, and they both stand up, and they scream, and they, they fight through it, and Cubana hits his lariat, Homicide does the same, then they take each other down with a double clothesline. I thought that was a really good spot. The, the crowd was really into it. Um, Cabana blocks a cop killer, Homicide blocks a Colt 45, Cabana blocks an ace crusher, and hits an air raid crash for two, and then... He brings out the pipe, and like you said, he starts digging it into Homicide's face and his eye, and it's like, just hit him with the pipe, man. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're going to do. Um, Smokes interferes some more here and allows Homicide to escape to the outside, and then Cabana does a dive onto him. And this whole at this whole point, the match was like going at a really good pace. It was really exciting. Things really stall here because Cabana takes a bunch of time to set up a table. And uh, he hits Homicide with a chair into it, um, and he goes up to the top, but Reefer holds his leg, and that allows Homicide to come up to the top, and they fight for a while and block a series of moves. And finally, after like they tease power bombs and ace crushers, Homicide does hit the ace crusher off the top through the table, and it comes off pretty well. 
I would say not as well as when Homicide did it to Trent Acid when it was just out of nowhere and insane and like halfway across the aisle way. Like, but it was pretty good. Um, so they're both down. Um, Reefer and Smokes throw Homicide back in to cover, but Cabana kicks out, which actually even surprised me. Like, cause I had forgotten what the finish was. And oh boy, was there a finish. Um, <laughs> because Homicide pulls out a coat hanger. And if we've, as we've noticed, there have been like escalating atrocities committed by Homicide. We go, we did the try to cut out his tongue on the last show. This is almost like Homicide is trying to commit a homicide. And <laughs> in fact, Lenny Leonard does his best Gabe on commentary impression here. <laughs> yes. Wouldn't you say? I, that's what I wrote in my notes that he is basically being Gabe in this. Yeah, he's just going inside. He's trying to kill him. He's trying to commit a murder. And the funniest part of this whole thing, which I don't know, maybe took the mask down a little bit for me, but I thought it was so funny that it didn't matter. So Homicide, yes, I guess, is trying to kill him and commit a murder by strangling him with a coat hanger. But as that's going on and Lenny Leonard is screaming passionately to save Colt Cabana's life. The ref is just in the ring treating it like a submission hold. Yeah. He's just like, yo, come on, Colt, what do you say? What do you say, Colt? <laughs> and, he, and he lifts his arm three times and calls him, he lifts his arm and calls him after homicide. And it's just like, there's just such a, um, incongruity between what the, uh, what the announcers are acting like, what mm-hmm. Cabana is acting like and what the ref is doing that I thought it was extremely funny. Um, and eventually, you know, the crowd chants for homicide, which is kind of <laughs> funny as more refs come in and very timidly ask homicide to stop trying to murder Cabana. Finally, Homicide gets off, and they pull Cabana out of the ring as Leonard is still completely apoplectic. But overall, I thought the match was was you know other than that, I thought the match was really very good, and I thought it put a lot of heat on the on the feud. You know, if they're gonna do the crazy stuff with Homicide trying to kill Cabana, like I thought that they did it pretty effectively. But yeah, like there was some stuff that was inconsistent, and I did think the match slowed down a little bit more than I would have liked to set up the table. But I was a fan of this. I thought this was very good. I was also a fan, very good for me too. I would put this like if I had to do a star rating, like three and three quarter stars, like right under four. Um, I I think I've talked about this before, but like brawls have. I think this match did the thing I like, which is it walked a really fine line that brawls sometimes have to walk, which is you can make it really intense just by having a lot of blood and choking and brawling at ringside, but that gets very monotonous and boring. Or you can make it more exciting by incorporating more wrestling moves into it. But if you do too much of that, it starts to become too much like a wrestling match and doesn't feel as, as hate-filled and as much like a feud. It feels too much like any other wrestling match. And I felt like these guys did a really good job on in the, on this match of having that middle ground. Like on the recent shows we've seen, it's just been like these 10 minute brawls with a ton of chair throwing in the crowd, punching, and then one big stunt spot at the end. And you get, you know, you get the chairs, you get the stunt spot, you get the brawling here, but you also get a bunch of wrestling stuff too. But it still feels like a feud. It still feels like something more violent and gritty and you, but you do get wrestling stuff. You do get moves. You do get like, a very pro wrestling style sequence where they're like each hitting the, like you mentioned the lariat and then kicking out at one, you get the sequence where they're trying each to go for their finishers, like the Colt 45 and the, and the uh, cop killer, but like getting out of it, all, all that stuff is in here, but you also get, you know, blood, you get weapons. Uh, I'm normally, 
I'm on record as not liking the Ace Crusher spot where through the table because of every time Homicide does it to do it safely, he basically has to take the entire bump himself through the table. But I am also on record as realizing that I am in the complete minority in that and that like including on this show, the crowd always goes nuts for it. So I am, you know, that's something that's clearly a minority opinion. Um, I, I, like you had forgotten that that wasn't the finish. I was surprised by the coat hanger. Uh, another thing I thought this match did a really good job towing the line on was with no DQs. I feel it's tough to have no DQs where you're a heel and you have an entourage because like, why wouldn't the heels just interfere constantly right from the start of the match? And I felt like this match did a good job of smokes and reefer interfered throughout the match, but was kind of sprinkled throughout the match. And more often than not, Colt would be able to successfully fight them off. So it felt like they were trying to interfere and occasionally got their licks in, but like for the most part, Colt fought them off. And there's even a couple times in this match where like after Colt like hits a move on homicide and gets him down, rather than immediately follow up, you can see like Colt looking at ringside to like where's Reefer, where's Smokes to kind of be on guard. And I just I like that as like a little touch. I thought they did like the right amount of interference in this match. And um the coat hanger thing, like yet another we were just talking on the last show, how many weird weapon spots is Ring of Honor going to do in a one year period between the uh the cheese grater to the stomach, the bag, plastic bag suffocation, the scissors to the tongue, the coat hanger. We're going to get the train of spot. There have been so many different weird, like life or death weapon spots in a year. And I feel like you can do one angle like that once every two years. And it can come off as like a deadly serious angle that has like impact. I feel like ring of honor in this time frame has gone to this. Well, so often that it just, especially when Lenny is doing the Gabe oversell, it just, it's so hard to take seriously and they've just done it too many times. And it was also funny because man, I don't know about you, but I was like, how lethal is a coat hanger chuckle? Like, I started looking at my, after this match, I looked at my class. I was like, should I just take a clay and like wrap it around my throat and see like how it feels. And I thought, no, no Trevor, no. I, yes. I, I felt like this is how I trip and fall. And people think like I died in some weird auto erotic asphyxiation accident. So I was like, no, Trevor, that's not a good idea. No, that is, that is, do- that is definitely what I would think. Yeah. So. so I was like, do not do that, Trevor. Um, but I, I, I honestly don't know. Like, I guess it would bite into your neck, you know, worse and potentially, but you're being you choked know. with like metal. Just don't do it. But very thin, flexible, like, I mean, I don't know. Many other people have better coat hangers than I do. It's very cheap, flexible stuff. And, you know, Lenny's going nuts. He's, he drops an F bomb, which is the commentary in ring of Iron almost never does where he's just like, you know, somebody, you know, fucking, you know, they're trying to sell this. Like he is almost dead, but uh, a couple other notes, just quickly looking at things I wrote about, Matt. Uh, this is the kind of thing where, uh, speaking of me being afraid that something, what would happen if I died and how people would think of me, I was like at one point being like, I hope no one, I don't die right after writing this sentence with my notes app open because uh, this is something I wrote in my notes. Matt. This is the kind of stuff I do for the podcast. This is a note verbatim I wrote. Does Julia Smoke scream, quote, I like the taste of shit, unquote, or I'd like to taste that shit as homicide, as homicide attacks on bloody cold <laughs> <Savannah. laughs> 
And uh, I'm pretty sure he wrote, uh, he said, I'd like to taste that shit. But I rewrote it three times. I thought, am I going crazy? Did Julius Sucks just say, I like the taste of shit? <laughs> well, if, you, if he's ever seen the first episode of Nathan for you, there's a, 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 good, um, a good option for him in that case. In case but, anyone hasn't seen that, the whole premise was that he created a poo-flavored frozen, frozen yogurt. <laughs> He'd be the one customer for Nathan Fielder. Um, there were a bunch of people that got it on that episode. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I was like, I better not die right after writing that. I don't want that to be the last thing I've ever written or thought of in my life, I thought. Yeah. Um, you said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Homicide, we should also mention, uh, wore an Eddie Guerrero t-shirt during the, this match, and that leads into uh, a note that the cameras did not pick this up, or if they did, they edited it out of the DVD release, but Dave Meltzer wrote, Homicide worked in an Eddie Guerrero t-shirt. Crowd was chanting for Guerrero. Crowd got mad when Julia Smokes made a gesture like he was smoking a joint and pointed to the shirt. Yeah, probably not the classiest of moves, even when it was a heel that did it. Like, I don't think that's a classy move. Also, what's that even mean? Like, <laughs> like I'm smoking a joint and pointing to Eddie Guerrero. Like, like I mean, I don't even know if that's offensive so much as confusing. Like, like hey, smoke weed maybe, every day, Eddie Guerrero. Maybe we're just not privy to this. It might just be us who's out of who are out of touch, out of touch with 2005. <laughs> <laughs> um. Homicide then continues to choke Cabana with the hanger after the match as Lenny freaks the fuck out. The refs in the Ring of Honor students try and stop Homicide, but Reefer and Smokes hold many of them away. Eventually, Homicide just lets go of it on his own, and Colt is carried backstage by some refs. Then it's intermission time, and uh, Gary Michael Capetta is backstage. He's joined by Allison Danger and Christopher Daniels. Gary first informs us that Cabana and Homicide are being medically attended to. Dan Christopher Daniels then says that just because he doesn't hate Brian Danielson like he hated CM Punk, and just because they don't have the same heated rivalry that he and Samoa Joe has, doesn't mean that Danielson's title doesn't make him a target. Uh, Daniels says that he's been preparing for this opportunity since the beginning of Ring of Honor, and all Danielson can do is say his prayer. So, pretty standard promo just to establish that, hey title match coming up tonight i actually like the promo more than usual i i don't know why i thought that he i thought he cut a pretty good promo like it was like and i think you know it just it, it put more heat and emphasis on the match than it would otherwise have since it is in some ways a cold match um got me more into the match so in that in that sense it worked i, I don't know i think daniel's daniel's in the ring on this roh run has not been as good as he had been previously but i think his promos have been pretty good overall yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been a good promo guy. I feel like maybe I appreciate a little bit less now because we've seen, like, in the early days of Ring of Honor, I felt like I was really shocked, like, at how much he stood out versus my memories, just because there were so many guys that could not cut promos back then. I feel like there, there's a few more guys we've seen now in Ring of Honor that can cut promos, so it's not quite as special. But yeah, he's always been reliably, like, just one of the best guys and obviously Gabe, especially early on, you watch those early shows. He really leans on, um, you know, he Daniels and also Carino are guys where it feels like whether or not they even had any, re anything to say on a show, Gabe was making sure they got mic time because it was just like, these are some of the only guys that I can count on to reliably, like cut a solid promo every, every time out. But yeah, totally, totally. Um, we then get a clip of Eddie Guerrero from a night of appreciation as a downbeat Gabe Sapolsky voiceover, tells us that well basically he credits eddie for being the draw of the first ring of honor 
show working, you know, super crazy. And he also credits him for working the third show, even after he had already re-signed with WWE and was the Intercontinental Champion, he honored his obligation, which, you know, if you look at wrestling history, there have been plenty of wrestlers that after they sign with WWE or any major, they completely renege all of their um, indie dates. And Eddie Guerrero did not do that for Ring of Honor. He followed up and did it anyway. And it was just a nice, quick, you know, genuine sounding video of, you know, tell Gabe was, you know, sad and, putting over the contributions Eddie had to uh, wrestling. Yeah, I mean, this is this is as tasteful as you're going to get uh, from a wrestling company as far as, you know, they didn't, they didn't belabor it. You know, they said what they needed to say, and, uh, you know, Gabe did a good job. He sounded earnest, and I'm sure he was, and he, I'm sure he really did appreciate Eddie. And then at the very end, which, you know, you'll mention, but I'll mention it now, it's just the, the very end of the DVD is just... A clip from this very same show, Night of Appreciation, with the crowd saying, we will miss you, chanting, we will miss you. Yeah. And it's like, totally tasteful, which is very rare for wrestling. And, you know, you contrast that with what WWE did with, you know, making it an angle very quickly, you know, bringing out the, the car and having, uh, you know, Randy Orton attack Rey Mysterio on it, saying, Eddie's in hell, all that yeah. stuff. And oh, it's just God. like, I mean, it was gross at the time. It seems even grosser now. It's just like... It just it's, it just shows you know how callous WWE was, and how Ring of Honor you know for all its flaws was not like that. They just they were just like treated it like normal people would, and just were like, hey, we appreciate this guy. He did a lot for us. He was great. Thank you. Which is how, all you need to do. All you need to do. And how sad is that? Like, not not that this wasn't. I thought this was very tasteful. I thought they did not oversell. They did the right amount. A little at the start with the ten bell salute. This little thing in the middle, and a little thing at the end. I felt, you know, Gabe. You know, he had some words, and they all seemed genuine. And also, like, he wasn't making up or going too crazy. Like he said, like, you know, Eddie was an influence to the Ring of Honor style and a lot of the wrestlers on the roster, which is probably undoubtedly true. And uh, but it's sad though that like like you were sounding almost grateful and i and i was the same way like it's like it should that we shouldn't be it's sad that in the world of wrestling we are we're almost surprised and grateful just for people like like you said the right word just being like normal human beings like doing the base level like appropriate response yeah and not making us feel gross i think vince mcmahon has just warped it for everybody i you know i like to think that it's not just like everyone in wrestling i think it's like you know, I know it's not just him, but I, I want to think that it's at least just like mainly him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this should be the standard, like like just the expected base level of how you react, you know, where you're not you're not making the entire show. I mean, unless it's like a tribute show in the way like Brody Lee show or some of the WWE has done some good tribute shows where it's a lot of fond memories and stuff. But like there are definitely been shows in wrestling history where people have taken advantage of a wrestler's death and kind of used it almost as a selling point. This show does not do that, but it also does, I think, do enough to pay tributes more than just a token gesture. And, you know, that should be like the base level expectation for how wrestling or anything treats a death. But yeah, like you said, Vince McMahon sometimes has kind of warped our expectations, but uh, that brings us to Milano Collection AT defeated Claudio Castagnoli via submission in 12 minutes, 48 seconds when he made him tap out to the AT lock. Uh, this was a little bit above average as a match, but I thought something was missing. We talked on the last show about how 2005 Ring of Honor had a lot of undercard matches that felt like lesser 
held back versions of um the matches these guys would have in the main event rather than like being kind of their own thing and uh i felt like this was a little bit like that here the, uh, the, this felt like there was nothing really binding this match together it was just like two guys trading moves nothing for 12 minutes nothing more nothing less and they have cool moves but didn't feel like they were really intense there obviously isn't a story to this match it just felt kind of like there was nothing again holding it together but you know i thought in particular milano collection at really looked good here as always with him i'm noticing that like it's his execution that i like as much as he has a lot of really cool unique offense but it's just his execution is really polished like um he does a running drop kick where he starts at the entrance and he runs all the way to the ring apron where Claudio is hung up on the ropes and he lands a drop kick to Claudio and then he jumps so high that he is able to land on the ring apron. Um, and just, it's just a standard stuff too. Like I love how his back senton he does is like him flying through there in like a standing, a sitting up position and then he does this really sudden deep snap back to hit the senton like this laying out i really like stuff like that i like how smooth and slow his twisting like moonsault off the second rope is it's almost matt seidel ash and esque and how much hang time and graceful it is like it's stuff like that where it's not just he does cool stuff he does it in a cool way it's just his execution is really good um but we've seen so many your move my move matches in indie wrestling that the bar for them is really high and this just is not, it's not bad. It's just not, I've seen way better matches that are just about trading moves, but, and and also Claudio loses clean again, right after on a show where he cut a promo begging basically for a, a, a rematch for a title. And then he loses clean here again. I realized they, they really liked Milano at Milano at this time, but it just kind of felt like an odd choice. I thought. Isn't Milano only on two more shows after this? We will get to it, but there is apparently a falling out between Milano and Ring of Honor. So I think they probably plan to have him longer because Milano ends up spending a year in the U.S. on excursion. But, I mean, you, we re- remember, like, I think after that first Milano match, there was a quote Gabe gave to one of the newsletters where he basically said, if we had Milano, like, re- f- long term, we would make him world champion. Like, that's how high they were on, on him initially. So then it makes more sense why yeah. obviously he beat Claudio. Because obviously, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about the like what actually does happen. It's like, oh, Claudio's a big star for them for years, and he's really – you know, Milano's out in a couple of shows. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I agree with you on the match. I thought Milano did look good. I thought the match itself was fine, but had like no intensity really to it, no stakes. Um, so I don't know how much Claudio, like non ROH Claudio, you saw from like 04 and 05, like from Chicago or IWA or CZW. I had, I have not seen a lot of his non ROH stuff from that era. So, like, how good would you say Claudio was at this point? Because obviously he be, he becomes fantastic, obviously. But like, how good would you say he was in November two thousand five? This was I watched a fair bit of Claudio in Jakarta and saw a little bit of him in other places. This because this was a time period of my life where I was actually watching quite a bit of Jakarta too. And um, Claudio was significantly better. I always felt like in Jakarta than Ring of Honor. In fact, he was to me one of the poster boys for you know there have been occasionally guys in Ring of Honor history where for some reason they're good everywhere else, but they're not good in Ring of Honor. For some reason they just don't click there. And Claudio to me was the poster boy. Now on rewatch so far, I've enjoyed Claudio's early Ring of Honor matches more than I remembered. This match 
was more of what my memory of Claudio and Ring of Honor was, which was it's technically fine, but it's nothing special. And like if I had only seen Claudio in performances like this, I'd go like, what's the big – what's special about this guy? Like, yeah, he's big and he's a fairly good worker. But if you watch like Chikara, I don't know if it's just differences, but what the diff- all the differences are. But I think part of it too was – Chikara, you know, was more lucha influenced, and Claudio is really good as a base for undersized, like flippy lucha guys or high flyers, and he's really good at doing that stuff. And like even here, you see a little bit where he does like, you know, tumbles in some of these matches and like jumps over guys that are tall. And but I feel like so far in Ring of Honor, he's been matched up with a lot of the other bigger guys in Ring of Honor, like B.J. Whitmer and Nigel McGuinness, and I actually feel like. Claudio can have good matches with him, but Claudio's biggest strength, I think, is when you put him with small, like, flyers. I think that's when he really shines. Yeah, I mean, like, but, like, you agree, like, he does, even in ROH, becomes, like, excellent, eventually. Yeah, but even there, it's, part of it, I think, is because it becomes more like his Chikara situation, where he gets to start teaming with Chris Hero, you know? Yeah. And doing the tag stuff, and so it becomes a bit more, maybe maybe it is just as simple as he needed to be framed in a certain position, or maybe he just gets more comfortable, but, yeah, this was definitely kind of the Claudio I was remembering from Ring of Honor. See, like, this is how I felt about a lot, felt about a lot of the matches we've watched of him so far. Like, and I love him. Like, I think he's, like, a, like a, just, like, such a super talented guy. But, like, I'm just talking about in this particular era, not, like, him in general. At least for the stuff they had him doing, I don't think he was there yet. Um, as far as, like, to, to really impress at the level that some guys do in ROH. So, like, I think a lot of the matches we've watched so far have just been kind of dull and disappointing. And like I said, it will get better, but like I thought this match was, you know, fit into that category. It's funny that there was a rumor, like I think the Voices of Wrestling guy said on their podcast a couple times that like Tony Khan maybe isn't as big a fan of Johnny, Johnny Gargano as you might think. And that maybe he's not even – not that he's saying that either of these guys might – they still might come to AEW, but that also Tony Khan might not also be as big of a fan of Claudio. Like like just not that he hates these guys, but just not as like got to have them as you might think. And, and you know, we know that – you know, Tony was a big Ring of Honor fan to the point that he bought the company. Maybe, maybe he watched these kinds of matches, and maybe he's got the wrong impression. I, I have a very hard, not. I have a very hard time believing that Tony Khan has not seen Claudio Castagnoli's WWE work. Obviously, like yeah, where he's like clearly is. I'm being more glib than wrestler. anything, but yeah. Um, and we should also mention they mentioned during commentary that Nigel McGuinness is not on this show because he's on a tour of pro wrestling Noah. So, and that, that I believe is true. So one of the rare shows of this era that Nigel is not on actually. And that brings us to the ring of honor tag team title. Number one contendership match generation next of Austin Aries and Roderick strong defeat Jay lethal and Samoa Joe in 17 minutes, 22 seconds when Aries pins Jay lethal after hitting a frog splash. So we get, you know, a tribute to Eddie Guerrero there. And it's kind of funny where, this show was only less than a week after Eddie died, and there aren't too many tributes to, like, Eddie Guerrero in terms of moves. And I feel like all these years later, maybe kind of going to a point you were talking earlier about how all these years later people still pay, pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero. I feel like when it gets around the anniversary of Eddie's death, there'll be shows where you'll see, like, like episodes of Dynamite or something where, like, three matches will have, like, three Amigos and Frogs slash spots. And this was a show, like, only a week later – and to me, this was like the only really noticeable spot I could think of that was 
like in any tribute. So are you saying that's good restraint or that they didn't do enough? <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it's not good or bad. I'm, I mean, I'm just saying it's funny how maybe in a way that Eddie's like legend has almost grown. Like even just the idea of playing tribute to him has almost grown, you know? I think that's true. But what did you think about the match? Because on paper, this looks like a great match. I don't want to tip my hand, but I mean, you got four really talented guys. It's, it, you know, Aries and Joe have this kind of fairly rich history at this point to play off of. There's something at stake here. It's the semi-main event. It gets a good amount of time. Um, on paper, Matt, this looks like it's all set up to be a great match. Yeah, I, I, if you're uh, leading to the notion that this was not a great match, I would agree that it was not a great match. I thought it was a good match. Um, they're great wrestlers, um, so they're not going to not have a good match. It's funny because sometimes these ROH matches go too long. But I feel like if this match had gone like five minutes longer, it actually would have been better because they were just sort of like getting to the good stuff when it ended. Um, as it was, um, there was some awkwardness. Like I thought Joe had a little bit of an off night. Um, I'm trying to look through my notes to get to like some of the stuff that he m- kind of messes up. Um, they botched a couple really simple moves. Like um, there's yeah. one where um, if I can look it up. Oh, God, a, botched sna- a botched snapmare. Which, like, yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that in my life. And, like, Samoa Joe and Roderick Strong do it. And I'm like, wow, like, I guess anybody can have that happen. And then later, J- Aries and Joe fuck up a headlock takeover, I think was. And yeah. I noticed that, too. Like, both, like, I thought, of all the things to, bo- well, not only is it weird for these guys to ever botch these four, but, like, two of the more simple, basic moves in wrestling that I'd never see botch. Yeah, botching a snap mare, like, like, it looked. Like it looked dangerous, actually. Like, it, like, <laughs> like Strong's neck was like really wrenched. I mean, luckily Roderick Strong has a thick ass neck and like he could handle it. But like, yikes. Um, but you know, most of the match was professional and like you know Strong and Lethal. I thought you don't really get to see them too often square off. You hadn't really gotten to see Joe and Strong square off too much at this point yet either. So, so that was pretty cool. You know, they. They, they, you know, Lethal gets worked on for a while, and Joe gets like a what I would call a halfway hot tag, um, where he comes in and he you know, hits a leg lariat on Aries and a big chop, and then Lethal's back in within a minute, which is you know something I've complained about a lot in some of these ROH matches, where like the hot tag, it's like you'd think the the person who was taking the punishment would stick out for at least like two minutes, never mind, not like forty five seconds. How- how you're always on my mind. I literally wrote my notes, Matt's pet peeve. I yeah. wrote in my notes. Because as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, Matt's not going to like this. Because you had just talked about this on a show about how much yeah. you don't like that. It really does seem to happen in every ROH tag match in this era. Yeah. Like, I don't think it should never happen, but like, it's like, it usually shouldn't, right? Like, someone's being beaten up for like a really long time and the whole storyline is they're, 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 t- they're tired and they need to get out. And then they come back in like seconds later. Like, clearly well, that's not logical. I always feel like why, like even from like a think about forget the storyline how it doesn't make sense in terms of the wrestlers injured and the other guy's fresh. I even feel like like if I just part of the fun of the tag for me would be I get a rest. Like if I worked like eight minutes straight and then I tag out to you and you do like three spots and tag me back in, I think even as a shoot, I'd be like, Matt, why'd you just do that? Like Yeah. I, I was just out here for so long. Like, please, like it's yeah. your turn. Carry the like, load. I, I would be annoyed. Yeah, I agree with that. Um I would say, um, you know, even though this this matches between two faces, I think the crowd was more into cheering on Joe and Jay than they were to cheer Generation Next. That's just how I felt. Like when when uh, Ari, when Joe and Lethal were beating up Aries, I don't feel like they were so into you know rooting for Aries. Uh, just didn't feel that way. 
Um, there's one another spot that kind of annoyed me, which is so they do a thing where um, Lethal tags Joe, um, which is and and then the ref doesn't see it. Now this was weird for a couple reasons. First of all, you very rarely do that spot with a team that's in control. Mm-hmm. And Jay and Joe were like in control. Like Lethal had it at hand, then he tags in Joe, but the ref doesn't see it. And like the reason you don't do that with a team that's in control is because then they could just be like, oh, okay, well, actually, now, now that you see it, let's just tag, right? Like, because we're mm-hmm. in control, so we don't have to fight for it. But then, but for some reason, the ref doesn't see it, and Lethal still doesn't tag in Joe. See, I think this is a rare shoot miss tag because you watch that. Yeah. Jay Lethal is expecting Joe to like do a double team with him, and then Joe, like Jay, you can see like turns and looks to see like the ref talking to Joe, and then he just kind of gives up on it. Like I, I think this was like again another thing that echoes like how weird this match was. I think it was the rare shoot like missed tag. But even if it was, then just tag him again. Like what's the, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't just be like okay, oh you missed it. Okay, here now you can see it. Okay. Like I don't I don't understand it, but like you know, eventually Lethal does tag Joe. Eric gets the hot tag to Strong, and I and I do think that Strong's hot tag was very good. He gets a bunch of backbreakers and chops and a big drop kick on Joe, and he does double knees on Joe. But Joe drops out, gets the choke. Aries breaks that up, and then um, that allows Strong to cradle up Joe for get a backbreaker for two, and then. Um, Lethal comes in, hits the running vertical suplex and diving headbutt on Strong and covers and Ares comes up with a double axe handle to break that up. And then they do this spot where like Ares drags Roderick to the corner and tags himself in so he could hit a brain buster. And then Joe drags Lethal to the corner to tag himself in and we get Ares and Joe going toe to toe. And, um, you know, they, they, they go pretty strong. And I would say, actually, watching this, this is the one moment where I was sort of like, you know, another crowd would probably be rocking here for, like, the Joe and Aries stuff. And this crowd, you know, they were just, like, kind of into it. Um, you know, maybe it was the match itself that just didn't get them hot for it. But I think the match started... The Eddie Guerrero stuff, Matt, as yeah, Dave said. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> no, I think the match does start getting pretty hot here. Um, Joe goes for a running clothesline. Aries tries to hit the crucifix bomb. Joe fights that off, but... Strong hits the sick kick, which allows Aries to hit the crucifix bomb, which I thought was really cool. Then Lethal comes in with drop kicks, but Strong hits two half Nelson backbreakers on him, and Aries follows that with a frog splash, gets the win, um, pounds his chest beforehand to dedicate the move to Eddie. And like, I do think those last couple minutes were really good. That's why I say if they'd maybe gone a few more and did some more near falls, it could have elevated it to a much better match. But as it stands, it was pretty good. Some awkwardness. Um, definitely disappointing. I agree. This was disappointing. I actually liked it. I think a little less than you. I I was on the fence. And I was finishing up my like review of this match. Like, is this above average or very low good? I almost want to just go above, like above average. Which for these four guys in a semi-main event with this time, to me, is very disappointing. And um, yeah, they're just. You know, there was no real urgency in this match. It felt, if I could use a word to describe this match, it's reserved. This felt pretty reserved until those final few minutes. And like you were saying how I completely agree. The final few minutes are really good. It's almost what pulls this match into like an overall good rating for me. If the more of the match was like that, it would have been an easy. But the weird thing is a lot of times like when a match gets good in the final few minutes, you're like, oh, maybe it ended too soon. It was just getting started. or like you know, it didn't get enough time, but this got a good amount of time. And it really, it, rather than like, it's like revving up and just revving up too late. It felt to me almost like 
they just flicked a switch from the match from average to good. It was like, it, it felt like they could have wrestled more of the match like that at any time. And for some reason they decided, well, we're only going to wrestle like three to five minutes of a good match and, and, and the rest of it. And a really good match at that, I think. And then the rest of it, we're just going to take it easy. And it's not that the rest of the work was bad. It just was very plain Jane mediocre there's one sequence i think that sums up most of the match other than like we've already established all the weird like botches that normally never happen in matches with these guys but there's a, a spot fairly early on in the match well not fairly early on but that happens that uh really sums up this match to me where um roderick and joe are in the ring and uh you know roderick makes a big deal of like tagging out to aries because it would be the first time that aries and joe have been in the ring together in this match and obviously they have all the world title feud history and so he tags out he's like do you want it he tags to aries aries comes in and the crowd is pumped there's dueling chance for both of them and there's this kind of this energy you feel as they kind of stare across each other like oh man this rivalry renewed these two top guys and then that they do a sequence this is the entire sequence a headlock a shoulder tackle a second headlock and Joe tags out. And to me, that sums up this match. Like the table was set for them to do something really good. I think the crowd was ready. I think they had it in them to do something great. And they were just like, for most of the match, eh, let's just do enough. Or even sometimes not enough. Like to me, it was like headlock, shoulder tackle, headlock, tag. Like that's it. And I, and I was pretty disappointed at stuff like well, that. Well, I guess if, if they had built up to more stuff, I mean, I guess it's okay to like start do that at the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's okay to tease stuff and then save it for later. Yeah. But unfortunately, I don't think it really had. Again, those final few minutes, you talked about all the cool stuff, really did pay off, were cool, but it didn't really, again, feel like payoffs to like stuff that was teased earlier as much as just they were like, well, we got to give them something. Let's give them a few after the hot tag. Let's, let's go for it. And yeah, yeah. Those few minutes are really good, but. Um, Matt, you normally, you will rail on the New York crowd and I feel like you have more of a right than me because they are your people. I don't rail on it as often. I do got to rail on it here. How you sometimes talk about how, and I don't always agree with you. I don't always agree with you that the New York crowds are worse than other crowds this night. I think we agree they were. And just before you do that, I just want to do make clear. I do not consider the Long Island crowd to be my crowd. This is, there, is, <laughs> there is still a delineation between the New York City crowd and the Long Island crowd, which well, I think most Island people from the crowd. area will acknowledge. <laughs> Send angry complaints to Matt. No, um, so this is one of those just eye-rolling, snarky comments. And uh, so Lethal is getting beat down at one point, and you can hear a fan clearly shout, these are hate crimes. He's a minority. And you can hear like Please. his one friend laugh. And I was just like, I wanted to make like the jerk off hand gesture as I was watching at home. Just like, oh, yeah, you're real clever, but yeah, that's, that's a real good one. And I'm just like, like so often when people say, oh, crowds are just trying to get themselves over. Like, I feel like so often I think people are too hard on crowds and I disagree. I think like they're just chanting things and having a good time. I felt like that was the kind of comment where that's when I like roll my eyes and like, just what a. <laughs> to be fair, that's one guy. Now, the, yeah. uh, the chance at Jimmy Rave earlier, that was not one guy. So yeah. you could definitely, you know, hate on the crowd for that one. Um, After the match, Aries and Strong pose on the entranceway, and Jimmy and Rave attacks them from behind, hitting them with a steel chair. Rave hits Strong with greetings from Ghana on the ramp and leaves. The refs come out to uh, help out Strong, and boy, does Austin Aries angrily chew up Paul Turner for wondering what happened. Like, 
like Ares really yells at him in a way that feels almost real angry. Like, what, what, what? Why didn't you see this? And then some fans chant, "Get them in the cage!" And Ares like screams, "Like, yeah, we will, we will." I, I, thought, then, I thought that was that was good by Ares. Like he acknowledged it. He was like, "They're like, get him in the cage, get him in the cage," which I'd never heard that chant before. But then yeah. Ares like kind of just goes, "We're gonna get him in the cage!" And then December third, and it's like, yeah, I mean, the same market. It's good, smart of you to acknowledge that chant. I thought Aries during this whole back, this, this whole little segment was angry in an over the top way, but in like a good over the top way. Like yeah, he it was worked. really pissed. It worked about everything. The, the funniest part of this was to me was that they, they went back to the you know like through the curtain and they found Matt Seidel hanging upside down on a ladder. Yeah, and this, it just felt like schoolyard bully like running someone up the flagpole <laughs> by their underwear. Like like what do you like? Why was he upside down in a ladder? How did that happen? And I love it because Aries continues being so pissed. And he has real, like, John Zag, John Zandig, Jesus, like, quote energy, where he's just like, what happened? He's just screaming so angry and he's so confused. And just the weird surrealness of, like, he just sees his friend get pedigreed in front of him after he gets attacked too. And then he walks through this curtain and Matt Seidel is just hanging upside down from a ladder. He's like, what the, he's like, what the hell? And then he right. punches a wall. He's so angry. Because, of course, what the hell? How do you end up up? upside down in a ladder and it's made more ridiculous because like all the refs just came through that curtain like 10 20 seconds earlier to like help him and strong after they got attacked by rave and like sidell is hanging upside down like basically five feet after you walk through the curtain and it's like they didn't <laughs> just see what happened like how quickly did he get hung up upside down <laughs> the ladder like when they have had to have walked by like seeing Matt Seidel hang upside down unconscious from a ladder. It, like the whole segment was just really goofy, but in I, a I way, don't even, I, really I don't even think Seidel was unconscious, which made it funnier. I think he was just sort of like, Oh, I'm upside down in a ladder. <laughs> Man, that'd be like, that reminds me of, there was, there was this time in um school growing up where, uh, um, we, you know, we had the big batting cages behind the batting diamonds to kind of protect if the balls went high up, you know, from like just a missed throw or anything. And kids used to love to climb the batting cages because the, the backstop or whatever you call it, because they got really high and the teachers would always tell kids not to. And I remember one day, one kid didn't show up after lunch and we were all like, where is he? And the teacher was like, where were we? And also this other kid go screams. He's like, he's hanging upside down from there. And he was in the Matt Seidel position. He had climbed near the top and got his foot stuck in like one of the rungs. And he was hanging dangling upside down and he couldn't get out. I think they had to call the fire department to get it, to like cut him free. And it was, I just remember like seeing Matt Seidel remind, like that, if you, if you watch this video and see Matt Seidel, Matt Seidel is basically that kid at a much lower height. He's just <laughs> stuck upside down by one foot in like this metal rock and just dangling. That is scary. I mean, he was fine, but it was just, it, I remember just like literally they had to call the fire department just like to get him. So, so I, not to over, you know, not to step on your story, but it reminds me of another story of when I was no, in go school, ahead. unrelated to this, but it just kind of remind me. Um, there was one day when I was a sophomore in high school where uh, we, I got to school in the morning, and they all the kids in the school were like in the like on the field, like on the football field, like in the bleachers, just hanging out. And I found out they weren't letting anyone into the building because there was a gas leak in the building. And so we had to be outside in like on the field for like, I don't know, felt like at least a couple hours. 
And but we weren't allowed to leave because it was the school day, and you can't just let the kids leave. I don't know for whatever reason. So like they locked the gates, and we were just all stuck in there. So kids, there was like a there were like really really high fences like on the schoolyard, and kids started like climbing up, trying to climb over the fences to just like escape to like just like leave school. And like I just remember like kids would start climbing over the fences, then other kids would like take off their shoes and throw them at the kids who were climbing over the fences, <laughs> and like this went on for like hours as like. Some of the teachers, I think at first, were trying to stop them, but then eventually they were like, all right, forget it. Just let the <laughs> stupid assholes do whatever they want. And then, um, and I don't know, it's just, it was just um, emblazoned in my mind, these kids, like, climbing over the fence. And, like, I, I, I definitely did not try to do that. I was just kind of, like, sitting there being like, all right, well, at least I don't have to be in school. And people don't know this, but one of your classmates was uh, Vince Russo. He had been held back a few years, and uh, <laughs> few, he, yeah. he invented the reverse battle royal based on – he was inspired by that. He was like, yeah, everyone trying to get out of something instead of into- – Vince Russo was already the main booker of the WWF when this was going on, So the main writer. <laughs> Matt, so. he got held back a lot. OK, fine. So he was, he was writing Raw and also going to high school with me. Vince Russo <laughs> like- is from Long Island, damn it. I, not the same. <laughs> right. um, if you take one thing from this show, it's that we appreciate you. If you take two things from this show, it's we appreciate you and Matt is not from Long Island. Please. Exactly. Um, not that where I'm from is better, but it's not Long Island. <laughs> it's, you definitely you mean it's better. No, uh, I, no I, listen, Staten Island, I'm not saying it's better. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> So that brings us to our main event, the Ring of Honor world title match. Brian Danielson successfully defends his world title when he defeats Christopher Daniels via pinfall in 29 minutes, 33 seconds after he hits a roaring elbow. So I believe this is a rematch from the second show in Ring of Honor. So that's a long time to go in one company without a rematch, although obviously Daniels was gone from the company for a year. But this is a rematch. And for those who go back, that's one of my like little hidden gems I really love. That um Daniels Danielson match from the second show. It's weird. This is something I did something that I normally hate when people do. I did not like this match quite as much as this match. Yet I think I gave this match a higher rating because I think I gave the, I'm giving this a flat four stars. I think I gave that one a three and three quarters. But talked about how much I really liked it as like a little hidden gem. But I think it's because this match it was just that match was like an opener, a tight little story meant to be a fun opener, and it was. This match is meant to be. It has a higher ambition. It, you know, it's a big half an hour main event. I feel like it doesn't quite hit its goal, uh, its ambition quite as well as that match hit its, but its ambition is higher. So maybe that's why I can give it a little bit higher. But anyway, um, I think patterns are starting to emerge in this early section of Danielson's title run. And this match has a lot of the flaws and the strengths of the other ones. So the flaws would be, I would say is Danielson dominates a lot of this match, like a lot of his other early title defenses against Saban, the, the Roderick strong matches. And in a way it makes more sense for this match because, um, Part of the story is Daniels had a much harder match than Daniels. That Danielson gave himself this really cupcake easy match, and Daniels had to work a hard, legit three-way. And so it makes sense that Danielson kind of is controlling um, Daniels in this match. But I feel like it does have one of the flaws where 
His control sequence, like some of those other matches, feels like it goes on just a little too long for me. And just like the Saban match, I feel at some points, like, you don't get a lot of Daniel's personality. I feel like at times anyone could be Danielson's appointment because opponent in this match because he's controlling so much of it. But I also think a lot of that is on Daniels too in this match because I feel like when Daniels gets control in this match, he's not showing a lot of fire or personality. I mean, he's doing well enough in the wrestling. There's one moment where he throws the I have till five back in Danielson's face when he's in control. I wish I would have liked, wish there was more of that because Danielson's character at this point is so fun and it's such a lovable, just huge prick. I think a lot of the fun is what that brings out of other wrestlers. Like we talked about in the recent, the second Roderick Strong Danielson match. How in the first 10 minutes I really enjoyed because it was strong, kind of like not putting up with Danielson shit anymore and getting right back in his face. And I wish we'd have got a bit of that from Daniels here because Brian is being such a dick to him and Daniels is kind of being fairly submissive. And even when it has come back, it's just kind of nondescript wrestling. But all that being said, all the strengths of the Danielson matches are here too. And the strengths are Brian Danielson is just on another level since the few matches earlier where he kind of discovered this last piece of his wrestling puzzle that we've talked about. And I mentioned earlier, he is just having so much fun here. He is just so great of not just controlling the match, but somehow he has always been a confident wrestler. He feels 400% more confident. He's having so much fun. It's just infectious, the joy he's working here. And the thing I really noticed in this match is I feel like a thing a lot of wrestlers have a hard time with is they learn to wrestle really well first, and they don't have the charisma part, or they learn the character part first, and they don't really have the wrestling part. And the last thing great wrestlers often learn is how to integrate, like how to be a great character in the match while having a great match. Because sometimes a wrestler, like they'll do interesting things in talking to the crowd, but they kind of slow the match to a crawl. If you watch Danielson in this match, he is so good about filling all the little gaps of the match with crowd interactions, but it never feels like he's dragging the match to a halt to just like do a comedy act or start talking to the crowd. Like he, like every moment in this match, he's like doing something. And I, I feel like you watch him in this match and it feels like the whole, this is one of those matches where it feels like the entire wrestling match and the entire crowd is his toy box and Danielson is just playing. Like it seems so, he seems so comfortable in a match like this. Like just every moment, he always seems like he knows exactly what he wants to do. It never, you never feel like at a moment that he's at a loss at what he wants to do next or a loss to, for ideas. He's like really in the moment reacting to the crowd. And I just was really admiring his performance here. And the match is good. You know, it, it tells its usual kind of simple stories of body parts getting worked on. And it we can get into the ending plays off of apparently things that happened in TNA. But um, it, it's, it's like a flat four-star match. It, you know, I it could have been better. But, like, Danielson's so good. This is kind of like the bar for him is, is this good. And I, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I like this match. I thought it was a four-star match too, but, like, my – my adjectives, I think, would be higher than yours. Like, you said this is the bar for him, but, like, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I think it's better than most of the matches he's had as champion so far. I thought it was better than the Aries match. I thought it was better than the Carino match. I thought it was better than the Saban match. The only matches that I think were not as good, it wasn't, wasn't as good as, were the strong matches. I thought this was Daniel's best performance. I th- so, like, I think that's one thing we disagree on. I thought it was Daniel's best performance since his return. 
Um, I thought they took a crowd. This was not like a hot match. You know, this wasn't a match they had built to. And a lot of Danielson's previous title matches, title defenses, no one in the crowd thought that he could lose, so that kind of hurt the big pops at the end. But the crowd is really popping here at the end. Like, I think there was a moment where they thought that Daniels could win. And I think that's to the match's credit. Um, so, like, I don't necessarily think that I, um, I don't necessarily think that uh, we have a disagreement about the level of the match got to, but maybe just our satisfaction with that level. One thing I'll ask you, though, Ari, you said it was better than the Aries match, which I might agree with you. I definitely agree with you. It was better than the Carino match and the um, Save match. But here's the thing: how much better? Because I think I would say like this match is like to me like a quarter star better than the, like it's better, but like one notch better. Like it's not a huge world of difference. I, I in my opinion, I think that's fair. I think I could probably get behind that. Uh, I would agree. Um, but I still think it was a higher level, like whatever, even if it was slightly higher. Um, the one thing I will say, yeah, like I do think like Danielson is making it sort of like the standard that we're going to get these half hour world title main events. And I don't necessarily think that's always to a match's benefit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do think that he's just figuring it out. And like, so yeah, it's so much fun when he's on in control and doing cool stuff. Like there's this one point where he does an Indian death lock. And he pushes the knee, like, he gets it in one form where he pushes on the knee with, other knee with his leg. But then he does, like, a full neck bridge with the Indian Deathlock. Then he keeps the Indian Deathlock on, but does, like, a butterfly hold. And he's just, like, holding the Indian Deathlock while doing, like, one thing after another and, like, changing it up. And, like, that's so much fun. But, yeah, it does last a long time. Like, I think if they had cut five minutes off, like, maybe put that five minutes onto the tag team match and took it off of this one... But did the, everything else Agreed. the same? I think both matches would have been uh, been all the better for it. Um, yeah, that ending sequence is really good. They get some really really good near falls there. Um, I also really liked it because you had mentioned how Danielson like just sort of like dropped the airplane spin from his repertoire. Yeah, and, and at one point he teases it, but then he gives them he gives the crowd the middle finger and does a Finley roll instead. And it's just like like because we're not going to see the airplane spin much anymore. Yeah, and. Um, I like that, but like when Daniels got the Koji clutch in after his Death Valley driver, the crowd was really into that. Um, and you know, I thought that, um, you know, Daniels had really crawled for a long time to make the ropes. You know, they even do a tease where Danielson's arm drops twice, but then he finally lifts the third time and gets the ropes. Um, you know, Danielson uh, gets the cattle mutilation, um, after, uh, he avoids, after Jet Daniels avoids a dragon suplex. And Danielson, re- Daniels really struggles for that. By the way, how hard was it to keep track of Daniels oh, and Danielson God. in the notes? Oh my God! Yeah. Um, oh my God! But, but um, you know, like so, like they, they, they do really dramatic stuff. Like Danielson misses a roaring forearm. Daniels ducks, hits the Uranagi and the BME, and the crowd popped big for Danielson's kick out there. Like I thought they they, they really thought that could have been it. Um, they were very behind Daniels here. Um, Danielson hit the top rope suplex and then hit the dragon suplex with the bridge and went right into cattle mutilation. And I thought that would be the finish, but Daniels powered out of that and he's able to like roll out and stand up. And then Danielson tries to go for the chicken wing and Daniels fights off of that. Um, and then Danielson just hits the big roaring elbow, which they treat as like a full knockout. There's even a little delay before the cover and Danielson has to like struggle to turn him over. And then he gets the pin on that. So I thought the ending sequence was fantastic, like one of the best that we've seen in a while. And I thought that elevated the match a lot. I thought the rest of the match was good. I really didn't have a big problem with like a lack of Daniels 
personality, honestly. Like, I, I, I see what you're saying, though, now that you, you mention it. Um, I, I will say, um, another cool thing I liked is that they, like, at the beginning of the match, they really milk the whole Daniels won't shake hands thing a lot, which you don't really see wrestlers do, in the sense that, like, Daniels says no, and Danielson just keeps trying to shake his hand. Like, yeah. I, I like that little touch. He's uh, being almost a dick about because he knows he won't shake his hand. He's just going to like rub it in his face. Like, ex- sure, you sure? Exactly. Um, imagine WWE allowing a match between someone named Daniels and someone named Danielson. Never <laughs> would happen. Um, and Leonard, just like in the other Danielson match, he really like goes big on how what an asshole Danielson is. He's really outraged by it. And also, there's one thing he says early on. He says. This is a matchup between two of the biggest red asses you've ever seen. Yeah. And then he, sa- he says that they're cranky, and I'm like, I don't know that I've heard that expression before. Uh, it's funny. I was thinking – I've heard that a couple times, and I started to think, have, has the other couple times I've heard also been from Lenny Leonard? <laughs> like I was like, is, is he the only one? Like, yeah, I don't know that one, but now I know him. He's, they're, they're cranky, I guess. I mean, for all I know, my ass gets very red when I'm angry. I don't think anyone's ever seen me angry when I was naked. <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, <laughs> the the future, Matt. I, I got to save something for my forties. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I I got I got a few other things in my notes. I actually wrote a lot of notes for this match. Uh, one thing we didn't mention: there was huge dueling chance for the ring introductions. Like like I timed it. It was nine like a minute and a half straight of back and forth. Let's go fallen angel. Let's go dragon back and forth that they just let happen. Like, like they, the crowd does not run out of steam for like a minute and a half. They just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, the crowd, I think at one point, I'm not sure. I meant to ask you, was there a point early on in this match where the crowd was trying to start a 60 minutes chant? I did not notice that. Cause but I, I think so- sounds possible. Um, Praise X is like kind of adorable, and I wonder if D- Alice and Danger was still there, knowing that they were friends. Like Praise X at one point, because Alice and Danger on a lot of these shows, including this one, was wearing that latex nun outfit. And Praise X goes at one point, "Is this supposed to rain later in the day? What's with the outfit?" I thought that sounds like something like your dad would say if you like, yeah. were going out to a club wearing that. Like, I'm sure that was for her ears. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of adorable. Um, at one point in the match, you can hear Green Lantern fan yell, eight minutes gone, eight minutes. And I thought, wow, they really <laughs> did think this match was going wrong. Uh, um, which I think that was, you know, was one of the points because we will see it in another later strong Danielson match. Like, I think one of the things Danielson and maybe Gabe too wanted was they wanted to create this idea of fans thinking that matches not like would go long, but could go really long, but still end before the hour, you know? Right, so, right. They don't actually do the 60-minute draw with Danielson until the summer of 2006. Yeah, so I, I that was probably part of the long match, other than I think just Danielson loves wrestling long matches, is like, let's train fans to think, you know, that a match could end at any time, and it could go really long, but just, you know, because initially, you know, with stuff like the Danielson, I mean, the... uh the Punk Joe matches, you know, the first two, I think there was maybe fear that if you did one more draw shortly after those two, you would start to train the fans that like, oh, if a match goes above 40 minutes, half an hour, it's going to go to a 60 timeline draw. And you obviously don't want that. So um, there's a moment in the match where Danielson, rare from Danielson, he yells at Alice in danger. He says, you shut your mouth before I slap you right in the face. And I was like, Wow. Brian Danielson getting in the Ring of Honor spirit there. Yeah, the Ring of Honor spirit, exactly. <laughs> um, Danielson at one point, he uh, is doing a double bridge in a move, and he flips off the fan with the double bird upside down while he's just bridging with his neck, which 
unbelievable cool stuff. Uh, he should Dennis- be the, he should be the star of Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even seen that show, but I know it has the word first- bridge in the title, so. That's our first sponsorship. Clearly, a lot of crossover between Bridgerton and us. Um, Daniels came into the show, we should mention, with a bandage on his head from, a, I guess, an earlier injury on a different wrestling show. It comes off of this match, and he starts bleeding. And I love Danielson's gleeful. He goes, uh-oh, when he knows Daniels, Daniels is cut. And he immediately starts tearing it. And he just gives such a playful, like, uh-oh, like such a, like... I'm a little stinker. <laughs> and then he starts tearing the cut. And he actually bites Daniel's cut to the point where he gets blood smeared on his mouth, which I yeah. thought, wow, like intense from Danielson. And yeah, that Koji clutch one you mentioned was great. There was another great little wrinkle to it where Daniels actually like puts his fo- as as Danielson is reaching to grab the ropes, Daniels like takes his foot and pulls back Danielson's arm with his foot, which I thought, and then Danielson has to like reach the ropes with his legs to have his arm, which was a really cool moment. And yeah, like I feel like maybe I was more focused on the flossless match. Clearly like look at my notes. There were so many moments I really, really enjoyed, which is why I say, think it's a great match. So I'm glad I kind of got to go through it. And, um, let me just say the end, if it did feel like a little abrupt, like the crowd wasn't expecting it. Dave Meltzer wrote in the observer, the idea of the finish was the forum knocked Daniels out because he was recovering from a concussion in the TNA pay-per-view angle. So they played off that. Daniels seemed to knock silly and laid in the ring for several minutes after the match. I, I don't think this was a shoot. Dave almost seems to act like it was. But it is interesting that I do think, Matt, we are now in this era of Ring of Honor where they were playing more off of TNA, TNA stuff than they ever had before. Like, um... AJ Styles came into the ring for his match running the X Division title. And, you know, he had done that before. But even the start of that three-way, it's him and um, Daniels constantly arguing. And then them kind of just, like, pushing Matt Seidel out of the way. Like, like they are playing off more TNA feuds, I feel like, in Ring of Honor at this point. Yeah, I don't know how long that lasts for, but they definitely are yeah. at this point, yeah. And so uh, next we go to Samoa Joe and Jay Lethal backstage. Jay calls uh, Joe calls tonight a temporary setback. He says he and Lethal will be back, and they re- and they will realize Joe's dream of becoming uh, Ring of Honor's first Grand Slam Triple Crown champion. Jay looks very bummed though, and when Joe asks Jay if he's all right, Jay says I can't deal with this. And he walks away like a moody teenager. Uh, Joe calls after him, but Jay isn't coming back, so foreshadowing that. Yeah, so the J- Lethal turns heel in the next show. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, and, like, I do think that, you know, this is a fairly decent way to set it up in the sense of, like, Joe is so obsessed with his own journey and Lethal is just sort of like, I'm bringing you along for the ride, Jay Lethal. And, like, you know, yeah. obviously that would be insulting um, for Jay Lethal. But in retrospect, it's like hindsight being 2020. Obviously, that heel turn did not work for Jay Lethal. Yeah. They, they really were trying to build him up so much in ROH in 2005. And then he's basically gone from the company by like the third month of 2006, which is a pretty crazily fast decline for him and that company. So obviously, that heel turn was not for the best for him. And, and doesn't it feel – we've probably talked about this before, but doesn't it feel crazy that like – he did seem to have some momentum, and then this low-key feud that's supposed to end with him getting something that's pretty rare in the indies, which is a guy getting a win over a low-key, that really felt like, once that happened, it felt like all his momentum was gone, which, yeah. is, which is weird, because that was on paper, I'm sure they drawn it up as like, that's supposed to be the thing that was supposed to elevate him to the next level, and since that match, he feels like he's just been drifting, like, no yeah. momentum, no real direction. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, yeah. you know... 
maybe like instead of that, a feud with Nigel would have been better for him, you know, over the pure title. Like I feel like maybe that would have been more suited to his strengths. But hey, like like I said, hindsight twenty twenty. Yeah. And uh, finally, we end as Matt alluded, to, well, mentioned this earlier. Uh, there's a brief clip from a night of appreciation with the crowd saying, "We will miss you." As that was the farewell show to Eddie Guerrero in Ring of Honor. We see Eddie Guerrero as he's standing, looking maybe crying even in the ring. And it's, again, it's a nice little sweet way to end the show. And that brings us to the end of the show. That was um, uh, a night of tribute. Matt, uh, it's an interesting show. It, it's weird, like there. People don't remember the show, but there's a great match on. There's a match that's close to, I think, being really great. There's some good stuff on the undercard. There's a really great promo. Like, there's a lot to like on this show. Actually, this is one of the hidden gems of the year. I would say, like, this is a damn good show. I, um, you know, I, I think they've they're actually ROH is on a pretty good run of shows at this point, and this is one of them. You know, like it's not like the best show of the year, but like this is just just good stuff. I think like they had kind of a rough patch. It's somewhat near like mid two thousand five as far as some dull shows. I think we're over that now. I think Danielson as champion yeah. is a big part of it, but other stuff too. Uh, this was a good show. I would say this was this was really quite good. I had a lot of good stuff. You know, only one really disappointing match, and again, even that was not bad. But like the good stuff was really good. So and and I even had to get even had some good promos on it, which you don't see much on ROH DVDs. So I was a big fan of this show. Yeah, I, I agree. You get the one great match, and um, and I agree where like you even get some different stuff. Like like I think this this show even without the great match would be going out of your way to see for a certain kind of fan because I think if you're a big Brian Danielson fan, you've never really seen a match like the one he has against Azrael. Like it, it's going to be a weird curiosity. And I think you know if you're a big Colt Cabana fan, you know you've probably never seen him cut a promo quite like he's cut on this show. And then there's some really good wrestling on top of that. Yeah, in and, terms of, in terms of importance, this is a B show. Like it's not like they have any major blow-offs or anything like that, but like in terms of just good quality entertainment like building to for the future, this is, you know, it doesn't feel like a B show. Yeah, I, I completely agreed. And so that brings us to the end of the show. So for plugs as usual, uh through the years at gmail.com, that's T H R O H for through if you want to email us. We have a thread on the ProWrestlingOnly.com plugs forum, which is also just a great forum for all sorts of wrestling talk, lots of old archive stuff there, even that's just you could spend days reading through like discussions of old wrestling that some really good conversations. Um Twitter, I'm at Trevor Dame. Matt is at Mayor MGF. And next time on the show, we will be covering Steel Cage Warfare, a show that feels like, maybe because we just take so long between episodes, a show that feels like they've been hyping it forever. Because they announced it pretty early into that feud. We finally get to see, you know, Ring of Honor's first, but not their last take on a War Games match. And I get to talk about the infamous Basketball City. (laughs) I I honestly can't wait. And also, there is another Steve Carino homicide match, you know, a rematch of our 2003 match of the year. Uh, It's not as well remembered, and there's probably good reasons why we will rediscover those reasons and explain them probably on rewatching the show. But yeah, that should be a lot of fun. We are, you know, this, we only got two shows left before, and then the year's over, and we're doing all our recaps and everything. It's we're in, we're in a we're in a fun time, and uh, it's been a fun five years. Thank you for everybody that's been a part of it. We hope you're going to stay on with us as long as we keep doing this crazy thing. So then, until next time, have a good time.
Have a great time.